2: Revely, Revely, dogs! Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat.
3: Oh yeah, it's Friday. You ain't got shit to do. You might as well hang out with the best damn combat sports show. Period. And we got the trophies to prove that absolute bullshit right here. Welcome on in. Friday, October 21st, 2022. This is Morning Combat, the show that, you know, used to do a little, but the little wouldn't do it. So that little got more and more. And I'm not going to fill your ears with bullshit. It's Brian Campbell, the beige guy right here to my left or right, or I don't know, I'm in a I mean, I'm being held hostage here somewhere in the land that time forgot of Atlantic City, New Jersey. But my partner in crime, of course, is Luke Thomas. And Luke, tell the people why we're so excited for this show today.
2: Tomorrow is arguably the very best fight card, at least on MMA purposes, of the year. We are going to get to some of the details we didn't already get to. Plus, we have a special guest, Eric Nixick. Plus, we have Dead Wrong. We have to get to some Spence Crawford news. It's a big show today, Captain Bedbugs.
3: Alright, so like the show, subscribe, do all that shit, support our people, we'll get to some, we'll sell you some stuff later. You know what we're going to sell you right now? A mea culpa. People always say ABC, the intros are so long, man, all I want to hear about is the mixed martial arts. Well, here it fucking comes, alright? Let's welcome in our guest. We love this guy. He's 2020's MMA Coach of the Year from MMA Junkie from Las Vegas with Love Extreme Couture's own... Eric Nixick, and Eric, I've got to congratulate you on your acting debut in MK Documentary <laughs> chapter number seven. Congratulations. Uh, I
4: appreciate it, guys. This is uh, the home office where I watch your guys' show every day while I uh, pretend I'm a gym manager here at Extreme Couture, so it's uh, great to be on. Yeah,
2: real, quickly, to coach, real quickly, Coach, uh, you got BC there in Atlantic City. What do you think are the chances he's going to go home with bed bugs? Like 100%, right? <laughs> all, all of them. All of yeah. them,
4: yeah. Every every piece of luggage he has is going to be littered with big bugs right. for sure. This is no lie.
3: This is no lie. Wednesday night I arrived. I went to eat at a Cajun restaurant. They had sex toy bingo going on while I was there. Not a lie. That's Atlantic City for you in 2022. All right, Eric Nixick, it's 280 Abu Dhabi. This is as good as it gets for the hardcore fan. We got a lot of crossover interest to the mainstream with the close matchups here. Let's start at the top. Islam Mahachev. Charles Oliveira, the vacant lightweight title. Uh, the champion's name used to be do Bronx. We're going to find out what happens when, for the first time in UFC history, two fighters riding a 10 fight win streak get together. Eric, you've heard a lot of bullshit previews this week. In fact, there's some MMA journalists running around using alchemy and magic to try to predict <laughs> who wins. Uh, he's an award winning guy, but he's still an asshole. Uh, let's get to you on the real X's and O's. When you look at Mahachev versus Oliveira, what is the most important factor that's gonna decide who's wearing that belt come Saturday night?
4: Oh, I mean, this is a, this is a, a nerd's delight when it comes to the grappling department, because you're looking at two different ideologies in the, in, the, in the grappling game. You're looking at a guy in Islam who likes to kill the bottom leg, get, to, get his wrist rides, his pins. Um, he's kind of the anti-jiu-jitsu guy, if you will. And then you have a guy in, in Charles Oliveira who can smit you from anywhere. So I think that matchup for me is very intriguing because I like to see how both guys attack this and play this. If you ask me about the striking department, I'm going to give an edge to Oliveira and just what he's done as of late. Uh, I think his striking is a little bit crisp, a little bit more smooth in, that, in those areas, whereas uh, Islam uses his striking very well to set up his body locks and his fit-ins. So this is a chess match for me. I think the the if you talk the, the, the betting line, uh, I think it's a little wide. I, I would actually have favored Oliveira in this matchup just because of the skill set but when you really break this fight down guys I feel like Oliveira has more tools to win this fight whereas Islam is going to be more that you know fastball type pitch and we know it's going to be coming.
2: All right coach let's talk about the wrestling I think because that's going to be the place where a lot of this is negotiated. Now two questions or I guess two part of the same question. One if you were advising Islam about the best way to get his game going with the takedowns, what would you advise him? And then, sort of, a second part of that, we do know that he tends to like the body locks. Charles yeah. Oliveira is, he does have offense in the clinch as well. What will that space look like? So, two-parter there. So, great, great question. And I think you have to utilize a little bit of the
4: cage to your advantage if you're Islam. And what do I mean by that is when you score those takedowns, you want to use that cage as kind of this inanimate object to where he can't roll over to his back or utilize it. You want to keep uh, Charles's feet off the cage, obviously, so he has no wall walk, but the, the cage can be to your advantage too as the guy taking people down. Now, I want you guys to understand something. Why I like the body lock a lot of, for even for my fighters is especially for a guy like Charles Oliveira, who has no problem jumping on your neck at any moment. You don't want to hang your neck into that in that guillotine line. But what the body lock allows you to do is kind of that air chair and step over and keep your head out of any danger from the guillotine. But what it also does, and I think it's very uh, important to understand, when you have a guy like Islam, when you want to be anti-wrestling or anti-jujitsu, within that takedown, you're going to get legs tied up. You're going to get into a split and pin or a half guard or a top turk where you can kill a leg. And I think that's going to be very important for Islam. And I have a couple things with the Charles de Oliveira side, and I'll explain that later too. But in that, in those transitions, I think it's important to slow down is, um, Charles's scrambling abilities, and by doing so, that body lock and splitting the legs is going to be very, very important for Islam.
3: Eric, there's so there's so much here. To look at. It's such a great, it's such an evenly matched fight, but their, their styles contrast so well. I've said it all week. I've could, I could see either guy dominating this fight as crazy as that sounds can, can, because their style or Charles's ability to lure you into chaos is just insane. It's unmatched. But if you're uh, skeptical of who Islam has fought up to this point, and if he's, you know, you even hear Charles saying you only got this fight because of Habib, a lot of, you know, a lot of nonsense. Anyway, they're fighting on Saturday. What would be the defense for, okay, we haven't seen Islam maybe beat a string of top five guys, but what have we seen that could allow you to be confident that he can elevate his style and his game plan to this level against an opponent as dangerous and historically hot as Oliveira?
4: Well, it's not Islam's fault for who he's fought, but what he has done in his body of work is shown, I think, the the idea that this guy can be champion for a long time, right? You know, he, he didn't put those people in front of him. He just did what he had to do to win. But now starts that stretch, right? We can't worry about who he fought in the the resume now, but he's deserved this title fight and we're going to see on on Saturday if he belongs there. And I think he does. I think everybody that has been doubting him because of that 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 past resume, they're going to see what he's capable of on saturday and we might see a long stretch of islam makachev as the champion at 155 it's a great
2: possibility coach one of the things that's interesting about you mentioned some of the scrambling from charles Oliveira. one of the things that's really interesting and you going through the tape saw it in the kevin lee fight a little bit in the chandler fight he's one of the very few guys who does de la Hiva guard where he weaves the outside leg and then between the other ones he'll do like a far side de la Hiva. you just don't you just don't really see a lot of guys using de la Heva. why does he get away with it and what is the value of it
4: I, honestly, I think
2: because he's such a specialty guy, and that's a that's a great point, Luke. And I think
4: that like there's guys in the gym, even like Max Roshkoff and guys that like um, it, right now in the UFC, like the, the Damian Mayas. That w- if they have a failed shot, they have another go to. We see D- Damian Maya drop the deep half guard because he's so efficient and so good there. The Delahiva might be Charles Oliveira's deep half, if you will. He might be so comfortable, with such a specialist there that he knows. If I have a failed shot or if I can't score this takedown here, I can go to certain uh, chains of transitions that I feel comfortable with. And that to me will be the wrinkle in this fight, Luke. I really feel like if Charles Oliveira wants to make this a scramble, why not shoot your own takedown? Why not try to put Islam Makhachev on his back? Why not incite some of these scrambles? I know it sounds crazy, guys, but where is Charles Oliveira his most dangerous? And that is the transitional submission game. So if he shoots in on on Islam and let's say he does score a takedown, but if Islam chances are is going to be able to get back up, it's within that transition where your neck is in play. The, the darsh chokes are in play, the triangle chokes, the, the jump in the back, those things now become in play. So why not try to go put Islam on his back, not to hold him down, not to try to keep him on the ground, but get those transitional submissions in play. And just like you said, Luke, he has those sweeps, he has it in his arsenal. I think that's something you might see out of him on Saturday.
3: You know, is it it dangerous, Eric, from a coach's perspective to hear Oliveira talk so much about, you know, I'm gonna finish him in the first round? Meaning, you know, this is a guy that that doesn't, uh, you know, meaning Mahachev, that doesn't regularly get into high level back and forth exchanges on the feet. He's using his striking to set up the takedown. You know, there are questions of what this fight looks like in round four or five at that point. Has there been enough grappling to remove the gas tank uh, in the direction of, of, of Oliveira, but maybe even in if this is a high, high pace fight? From the Oliveira standpoint, are you zeroing in on hitting that chin in the first round and that's your only focus outside of keeping your back off the canvas?
4: Yeah, I think because he is such a sharpshooter, and maybe this is a little bit of gamemanship. maybe he's wanting him to feel like he's gonna come out and bang and maybe they're just sending that message out there. But um I think I think Oliveira, from what I've seen all Fight Week BC, and I don't wanna stray the course, I feel like body language and the perception that I'm getting from him is he's he's confident in the good way. It's not like he's 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 doing this to kind of Um, You know, Boast, I feel like he's just actually very confident in his skill set, and a confident fighter is a dangerous one. So good on him for feeling like he can go out there and and put him away. All signs point that it's probably going to be pretty difficult, but I I like the fact that he's confident in that that area.
2: Let's talk about the striking here a little bit, right? Like, there's just no doubt overall Oliveira's a better striker, and more to the point, just a more lethal one. Like, he just does... A lot more damage with it but let's play the other side here a little bit it's like on the one hand Oliveira also is vulnerable he tends to get hit you know enough in fights where it creates some uncertainty on the other hand it's not like islam is a get yet yeah, get after it kind of type on the feet either let's assume it plays out on the feet for a round what does it look like i think a lot of pull counters um i think what what for
4: Oliveira, he's he's he reminds me of just an effortless sniper It doesn't look like he he has to chamber much. When he hits his back foot, that cross is coming. I mean, it's just picture perfect form the way he throws. So I think that he might be able to draw out some of Islam's power. And when you talk about um, uh, out of the open stance, right? Hitting 45 degree angles on your half beat corners that will help you take advantage of those slip counters to be, be out of range, but to also be able to counter back immediately. So I I can see Oliveira picking Islam apart if this stays on the feet for too long just because of, I think, the smoothness and the way um, Oliveira tends to strike at length. So I I think that if it stays striking, you're going to look at possibly Oliveira dropping him. Mm.
3: It's wild. This is going to be such a wild freaking fight. Uh, Look, people hate talking about this, but it came back up at the press conference this week. Charles kind of saying, look, you know, I beat this guy. Hey, Habib, like, what, what are we doing here, bro? You know what I mean? Look, and, you know, like, can we can we get past that conversation in your eyes? Is there an, an inside-the-fight game intel you can share with us? When I see Habib and when he makes the, the, the pledge to mother and father, when he gives up the millions upon millions to come back and Dana's constant chasing him around, I believe the guy um if Mahachev wins it be the branding of khabib 2.0 coming at you i like khabib's role in this fight you know it's a pro wrestling type deal having the other guy the, the former champion there but in your belief in your heart of hearts and you know the money that gets offered these guys at that level can we end this conversation he's done and never coming back can we just focus on these two right here in this moment
4: i i think you're right bc and i think that just because of khabib the man that he is and the integrity that he's shown He feels like a guy when he says something, he's going to stick to his word. But the interesting backstory would be if Charles Oliver goes out and smokes Islam for some reason, would that entice him to come back and avenge that loss? That that I think would be the one thing that maybe he can look at and go, okay, this would give me a reason to come back. But I feel like you're right. I feel like he's done. Um, I think he's got a good he's in a good place right now and coaching his fighters and helping his team and kind of filling that role i feel like his uh, his father would want him to fill so i think he's content on what he's doing right now
3: how impressed have you been and he's going to be playing a big role meaning coach habib not just in the corner of mahachev who's carrying on the tradition of course of habib's late father but he's going to be with Bilal muhammad against sean brady yeah what have you liked from a coach's standpoint seeing the transition habib has made Oh,
4: I've been in the room with them, so I've seen. You know, he was he was here at the PI, and I don't remember who was in camp, but um, you know, he had a, he was running practices out here, and and I asked him if I could come by and just hang out and watch practice. He said absolutely, and it is a it's a it it, it gave me a lot of details and insight on on some of the things that maybe I'm doing wrong or maybe I can help or change some of my game, but uh, it was very regimented. Um, there was no talking. It was there, I don't even really remember music being on, but. The, the warm-ups were long. Uh, the, the rounds were long, um, and I'll give you a little backstory. There was a guy that was that was not invited to the practice. He came with another fighter that was there. It was not okayed by Khabib, and it was it was somebody that just brought a friend almost thing. And Khabib chewed out damn near everybody there for allowing this and without asking permission for 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 this for this said fighter to be there. And it, it just kind of made me realize just how tight knit this group is. Um, there's no bullshit going on. And man, I'll tell you what, for an hour and a half, it was hard, hard, damn work. And he believes that grappling is the key to, to damn near everything in success, in, in to being successful in MMA. And we ha- we come from that same ideology and lineage here at Extreme Couture. But I'll tell you what, it just it was it was a different style than what I've ever seen, and I was impressed.
2: All right, coach. Tell me what we're talking about two elite fighters. Someone asked me the other day, like, you just term, like in terms of like skill for skill, it's one of the best matchups in UFC history, which I don't think is necessarily unfair. But that also means that because they're not perfect fighters, they have weaknesses. Biggest weakness either guy has?
4: Well, I think for me, with, with Islam, uh, he needs to stay the course in this fight. Now, I wouldn't say this is his weakness because we might never really seen this, but like BC brought this up earlier, if this somehow turns into a knockout, drag out, and all of a sudden it turns into a striking affair, he needs to still continue to stay the course when it comes to the grappling because his level changes and his feints will have some validity. So I think for me with Islam, and it's the unknown, it's can he stay that course? Can he follow that game plan? even though it might not be going his way, it's important for him to still stay on those feints and level changes to make the Oliveira striking slow down because he feels like he has to defend the takedown. So kind of the unknown, if you will, for Islam. And Oliveira, man, he still gets hit. I believe he's been dropped. Um, He was dropped in the Chandler fight. He was dropped in the Poirier fight. He got sat down in the Gaethje fight. He's getting hit. So to me, I feel like he needs to make sure he gets his head off center line. And doesn't take pictures after his combinations. He's got to move his feet either side to side or those forty-five degree angles that we talked about versus versus somebody out of the open stance. That to me is is Oliveira's big, biggest biggest weakness. Is he's still getting hit in these fights?
3: That's interesting. I want to transition that point because that's a fear. Look, I, I'm a, I'm I'm I have a fear that Charles. He hasn't been doing it with magic, he hasn't been doing it with mirrors, he's been doing it with balls. But again, you know, this will be his 32nd fight, ninth most all time in UFC history, he's 32 but he's been through the wars. I'm not saying we'll see a major drop off here, I'm just saying you can only gamble on that style for so long before you get clipped. He almost got clipped against Chandler. But what if I told you this? These super elite guys from Dagestan, I don't see them tap, I don't see them get tired. They're, they're machines. They, they have a game plan that is negative and anti to everything you do. So if Charles is riding this long win streak, and in particular the last six fights have been dynamic, but he's been fighting guys who are very willing to exchange in the sex if you offer it to them. I'm talking about Kevin Lee, Gaethje, Poirier, Chandler. I'm talking about guys that if you you serve them that, you know you offer me a hot dog behind the scenes and no one's watching, Eric, I'm not gonna worry that my liver's black at the moment. I'm probably gonna eat it. Dude, these guys don't willingly meaning these wrestle heavy cyborg fighters, they don't willingly enter into this. Uh is it going to be as easy as everyone thinks? That Charles is just going to go out there high volume take chances and we're going to see a brawl on the feet. I don't see Islam in these type of fights for a reason, I believe.
4: And, and I'm with you and I think that's the that is the key to success for Islam and that's actually in my notes, man, is is, is stay the course and make this fight ugly. Um, no one's gonna boo him in Abu Dhabi, right? But you want the crowd to kind of just be like, oh, here we go, another takedown, and look at him killing the legs again, and backside wrist, and here goes the ground and pound. If if he's doing those things, and it starts to become downhill, um, I think you're gonna see Islam be able to get that finish in round four, or round five, just because of that steady ground and pound, that steady dose. We tell our guys in our gym, man, If it's a three round or five round fight, there's nothing worse in the world for somebody to beat you for 14 minutes and 58 seconds and find that finish in the third round. Because there's no excuse, guys. There's no, I got caught. No, you got your ass whooped for the entirety of the fight by another man and then you got finished. That is Islam style. He wants to inflict punishment over and over and over until you go, you know what, man? I'm good with this shit. Get me the hell out of here. So I think he's just really got to stay that course no matter what. If Don't turn this thing into a firefight. Stay the course and you win this fight.
2: All right, let's talk about now the co-mate event, another title fight at Bantamweight. TJ Dillashaw, the former champion, taking on the reigning champion, Aljamain Sterling. I know you've worked with Sterling personally. First of all, just give me a sense of his overall technical development, number one, like what you've seen from him as you've worked with him, what he really excels at in your mind. And number two, how does that match up with what TJ does really well? They both kick really well. I'll tell you that. And Aljamain's
4: kicks are a little. So this is this is a very crazy matchup for me because you guys know my relationship with Coach Ludwig. You know I'm, I'm belted under Dwayne, so there's a lot of lineage there. There's a lot of you know X's and O's when it comes to this matchup for me. But on paper, I think when you look at the matchup style, um, I would venture to guess, and I don't know the stats, but I would venture to guess Al Jermaine's probably 75% more kicks than he is to punches. He loves to use his kicks to find his range, to, to, to set up his distance, uh, but also to find ways to set up his fit-ins off of those kicks. Whereas TJ likes to throw his kicks as an add-on. Um, he's beautiful with the same side head kicks in the, what we call the Condit. Where he'll, he'll throw the right cross and roll his head through the, one, the kick that Carlos Condit dropped GSP with. So, um... TJ has these add-ons with it. And then we saw TJ utilize his kicks very well against Corey Sanhagen, and that was to negate some of that movement was chopping that low kick. So both styles, uh, like I think their, their, their kick game kind of gets their striking going. So there's a lot of similarities when I see both of these guys. But really for Aljo, to me, his kick game is is to, to utilize his distance to maintain and then sometimes to close his distance to set up his fit-ins.
3: Eric, how did you get associated with Aljo in – and what is the future for him in splitting time in Las Vegas with you and, and back with Coach Longo where he started?
4: So this is kind of a product of COVID and, and then with Aljo's injuries that he had with his neck and his shoulder. So um, we were really one of the gyms that I wouldn't say that we were open, but it was kind of like the speakeasy, if you will, during COVID. We had we had fights. Guys were fighting, and we had to train. So what we would do is we'd set up our camps and bring people in, and, and uh, Aljamain reached out to me and asked if, if – um, You know, I was uh, available to 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 work some of his stuff and while he was in Vegas and it was almost like a sit down job interview and and it worked out great because I understood my role. What do you need me for and what are you expecting out of me? And that was kind of, um, you know, what was laid out. He said, hey, when I'm in Vegas, I, I want you to run my camp. But I need you in communication with uh, Coach Longo and Matt Sarah back in in Long Island. He goes, I really don't know what I'll do for my corner most of the time. I'll probably have like Mirab and some of the guys that I use as training partners, but Ray will always be there. And I think for me as a coach, it's refreshing just to know and understand your role. So he did, I believe it was seven weeks or eight weeks out here with us at the PI and at Extreme Couture. Um, and I kind of help navigate him uh, day by day, if you will. So I know what his Mondays are like. we we'll set up his sparring on, on Thursdays. I hold pads for him on Tuesdays. We got cardio rounds on Saturdays. And then um, he'll set up all of his stuff over the UFC PI. We'll film everything. We'll send it over to Coach Longo. And then when he goes back to Long Island, it's kind of reverse engineered. Everything he does there, he films, sends it over to me. I'll break down the tape and I'll, we'll get on a FaceTime call over the weekend and kind of run through everything.
2: I mean, look. All right, coach. Sorry, okay, go, sorry. Ahead. go ahead, BC. No, 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 no. it's take okay. Go, take. All right, all right. In that case, the single leg, it's the big weapon of Aljamain Sterling, right? He has other takedowns, I want to be very, very clear. But against Jan, for example, the single leg was really key to getting that fight where he wanted it to be, which was the back and everything else. How did that be, like, why is that such a favored weapon of Aljamain Sterling? Why, why the single leg? I think
4: because of the chain wrestling off of it, and it gives you two different paths, you can run back to the double, but essentially that body lock series as well. Um, And I think just because it's something that we're, if you're going head inside single, like we talked about in the fight with uh, Oliveira and Islam, it keeps you out of that guillotine neckline. But I think to me, because of Aljamain's style, and he's kind of scrambly when it comes to his wrestling, uh, the ability to transition and chain wrestle, Luke, I think that single leg gives you that option.
2: You see.
3: Yeah, uh, this is this is when you're game planning for somebody like TJ. He's been through the physical and mental ringer, and some of it has been self-induced. We know about his background in the history, but it's like long layoffs, surgery, come back looking like he's never aged. And as we saw against Sanhagen, finding an inner grittiness to overcome that leg injury and just figure out a way to win that. When you're looking at how to game plan for somebody like him, we know is what he's accomplished, but how close to the prime? is 36-year-old TJ Dillashaw because my casual eyes haven't seen much slippage. How do you guys gauge that? I agree with you 100%. And, and look, I don't, as a
4: coach, I personally don't look at the bullet, bulletin board material. None of that shit bothers me or I care about one bit. I gotta look at the guy in front of us and what his skill set and his talent tells me on tape. And what we saw against Corey Sandhagen is we saw a guy who's just like that, BC. He looks like he's in his prime. He finds ways to win fights. He has great in fight adjustments between him and Coach Ludwig. So, to me personally, I think he is right back where he belongs. He is just as dangerous as he ever has been. Um, I don't think you want to sit too much on the fact that he's been gone or this, this, or that, because in that two years time span, he might have been evolving and changing and shaping his game behind the scenes and things that we don't really see. So um, I got to look at what I see on tape, and against and that Corey Sanhagen fight, he's just as good as he's ever been.
2: What's the best explanation for why Aljo can so readily find mount or the back?
4: I think he's. I think he does such a good job of finding his pit stops, Luke, in certain ground positions. He's, he's not in a, in a hurry to get from point A to point B. He feels like when, when you grapple with him or you watch him in the room, he'll suffocate that position. And what he'll do there is make you decide and he'll know the route before you go there as the defender. So let's say he's in that half guard position and he's working something. So if you're going to turn to the inside or the outside, he has an answer for each. And then when he's in the mount position, he's going to sit there and he's going to make you work. He's going to let his ground and pound allow you for you to go belly down. And we never see him really stay too attached to guys or glued to guys. He's kind of floaty on you. So when you go belly down right there in that transition, now he's able to get his body lock or his body triangle on you. So I think for me, he kind of always understands that next route. He's like a step or two ahead of you in the grappling game. And he's never in a position where he's he's rushed. And I feel like that's important because we get a lot of guys in here that want to go, almost like they're break dancing on you. But – to me, Al Jermaine understands his pit stops and the reason why he gets there, and then the reason why he flows in the ne- next position is really because of what the fighter on bottom will give to him.
3: And I love this fight. This could be the fight of the night. I mean, this is I this agree. is a, this is the sleeper, Eric. This is the
2: gem. This is the one, man. This I agree, is, man. Damn. All well, right, like, here's video- the thing, right? Here's the thing, Coach. Like the first, the main event could go long. Probably won't go long. I feel like this one could go long, the co main, right?
4: I feel like I can go long, but what I'm excited for is those mid fight adjustments because we've seen TJ make those mid fight adjustments and we've seen Algerman make those mid fight adjustments. So the X's and O's for me is really where, where I like to see how they make these adjustments if something goes wrong. If your game plan's not working, what do you have in your back pocket that you can pull out and go out and get a victory? You know, and, and, and let's be real, this is Aljamain's officially first title defense. And Randy Couture always, always hammered this to me. He said, man, the hardest fight of any fighter's career is the first title
3: defense. So I'm interested to see what both guys have in store. Can, I, can we imagine Aljo's wrestling taking the back of Dillashaw with the consistency and danger and threat that he put on Jan, which was surprising to me in the moment. Are there differences in the wrestling bases of Jan and Dillashaw, which means that, that plan A may not be there? Uh,
4: I, I think I think you're going to see Al Jermaine find the back in this fight. I really do. And and what's what's interesting about this is when he gets there, he it it to me is like it's like the round's over. You know, uh, we have another guy in the gym, and Patchy Mix. When Patchy gets on your back. <laughs> it's 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 the most difficult guy it it's just guys can 't get out and they 're stuck there and I think that's the thing that Luke alluded to in the, in that where he 's not in a rush to get directly to your back there's pit stops there that allow him to get there and by that time there's three minutes off the clock now you got two minutes with him on your back, so if he can salt these rounds out and be able to get to those backside positions versus t j It's going to be an interesting task for TJ and how he wants to make those adjustments. But I feel like he can get there, BC. I really do. I I feel like Aljamain's got enough tricks. We saw that in the on fight. He, You know, drive up the single leg, get to that body lock series, hop over the back. Maybe it's off of a failed takedown where it's off a transition, off a knee tap. I mean, he has his abilities to get there. So I feel like it's going to be um, important for
3: TJ not to allow Aljo to get there because the round's going to be over. All right, quickly on the flip side of that, If TJ can keep this fight on the feet, if I told you it's going to be a five-round kickboxing match, I think naturally we would go, okay, TJ's a little bit more versatile, has more ways to win. What are we missing about Aljamain Sterling's striking game? Because he made a leap against Yang that shut up all the doubters, but he did it on the ground most effectively. What if he has to do it on the feet against TJ? What does that look like?
4: Well, I think Aljamain has actually very good vision. You know, um, in the fight against Yang, I I believe he got clipped with a switch uppercut. Um, You know, unfortunately for me, I, I, I'm from that Dwayne Ludwig pedigree, so a lot of the things and the tricks and this that I've learned over the years, um, we were able to kind of replicate. Will they have new wrinkles in their game, absolutely, but it was my job to be able to get our training partners and our guys in our room to try to replicate some of the things that TJ does, and I hope we did well enough so that they were able to see those things that Aljaban was able to get those reads. So in that, if it stays striking, I'm pretty confident that Alerman's going to be okay on his feet. And I think you know honestly, Aljo does such a good job in there in creating car crashes where we've been using a lot of elbows and, and linear things up the midline, the knees up the midline to where if that fight makes a crash in the middle, I think we have some offense that could be able to answer some of that.
2: Coach, we actually have a question here from one of our uh, the viewers from MK. I want to start incorporating these if I can here a little bit. This comes to us from Sage the Dragon Senpai. <laughs> I guess that's his name. Uh, Eric, uh, is Aljamain Sterling the best at creating back exposure in the UFC? If so, why?
4: I would say, yeah. I, I mean, right now, I think he, he. I think he definitely is. I think that he's a guy that, you know, he he hunts for that position. Now, he's a guy. I think that when he gets there, his body lock series, the body triangle that he puts on. He's not necessarily always looking for the choke, but he has efficient ground and pound from there. The one thing that he does very well, and this is this is something if you go back and watch Kevin Lee, Kevin Lee loved getting to that body lock, but what he loved to do with it was flatten you out and go belly down and then hip in on you. And when he does that, the ground and pound is is evident, but one thing that a lot of people don't realize the torque that it does on your lower half, your torso, and your and your spine man, it makes you want to tap just there alone. So mm. I think his positional control, the way he's able to get to the back, but he, he does, Aljamain kind of has this almost floaty transitional thing where if you do get your back to the mat, he's right back up on top of you on mount. And then he's able to go to that gift wrap and retransition back over. So I think that his ability to transition from A to B makes him one of the better guys on the back series.
3: All right, Coach, let's hit you with, Piotr Jan, Sean O'Malley. It's already been said this is the number one contender fight. Next guy gets the title shot. Sean O'Malley, if he does Sean O'Malley things, you gotta believe he can win this fight. He's a plus 225 underdog according to DraftKings. But we saw a little touch-up at the, and I wanna ask you if this matters, because when I'm watching, I got pro wrestling eyes. It's just the way I was raised, okay? So I see that shit, I jump up. Do we have the video to throw to here of uh, Peyota Jan and O'Malley? Because I wanna ask you, is this a moment? Is this something to look into? Or is this nothing here of when they went face-to-face? Because coach, skill for skill, you got to like Jan and the experience and what he's proven. But there's some emotion in there. Is that a bad thing? It can
4: be. And and here's the thing with with Piotr Jan is we thought in the Aljamain fight number two that Jan would come out and fight emotional. And we wanted that. And we kind of did see that a little bit out of him. Now, is that emotion going to carry over? And is that the same thing that we saw in the Aljo fight? this actually might work out in his favor. If he comes in emotional, let me explain to you that BC is because Jan does not have the luxury of having a five round fight this time around. He traditionally starts slow. Round one is going to be very, very important for both of these fighters. If sugar Sean can steal round one sugar, Sean has a skill set to go and be a sniper and pick off Piotr Jan from the outside and just win round two. And he can do cartwheels in round three and win this fight. So I think it's important for Piotr Jan not to come out slow and and be as technical and get all of his data and collect his reads. I think it's going to be important for Piotr Jan to come out here right away, maybe take the first minute, but he's got to get round one and he's got to set a a tone and an emphasis that he's there to fight. So coming out emotional in this fight for Jan might favor him, BC.
5: All right, coach.
2: What about the idea, though, that there's wrestling? Jan can strike. I think on the feet, he probably, you know, certainly Sean O'Malley is very, very good there, but Jan's very good there as well. It's the other part where Jan has incredible takedowns, ability to find it, and to work from top position. He's got good ground and pound. If you were advising Jan, would you advise him to wrestle a fair amount in this contest?
4: Well, gentlemen, i advise everybody to wrestle. (laughs) (laughs) But... Yes, and that's exactly what I have in my notes guys is There's some unknowns there and there's some unknowns with sugar Sean and and that is in the wrestling department The other unknown is the wrestling cardio and we all know this boys like we've been in this room We understand what it's like there's a big difference between the striking cardio and there's a big difference between getting a dude off of you cardio and wrestling and getting up and then getting taken back down we haven't seen him tested in that department. So why not go out and look to out-wrestle this guy in the first round? What does it do? Well, it makes you pummel. It makes you work. It adds blood in your arms. It takes some of the sting off your punches. It starts to make you question your game plan. You're stuck on bottom. You have long extremities to where if you're Piotr on, you're able to kill a leg. You're able to sit in that half guard and you're able to apply some ground and pound. Luke, I'm with you, man. I think it's important for Yanni to come out and wrestle. That's in my notes, too. I think you want to slow this fight down. I think you want to make sure you put a, a exclamation point on round one, and you want to send Sugar Sean back to the corner with a cut over his eye and blood running down his face and set that tone and precedence right away in round one if you're pure Yon.
3: This is great insight. Coach, I could have you here all day. I know you're a busy man. Do you have... Time for any more fan questions, or should we exit now? I I just carved a whole hour out for you guys because oh, I was I, so excited, so I, I wanted to make this. this. <laughs> All right, I want to get I want to get the fans involved because you're a connected guy, you're a smart guy. Uh, let's go over to Captain V on Discord. He asks, "What holes, if any, do you see in John Jones's game and fight style?" And I'm going to add in as it pertains to moving up to the heavyweight division at this point in his career after the long layoff. Any? Any things that scare you in terms of his game that might not a- adapt so well at this weight?
4: Well, you guys are asking me to give away some of my secrets here, but... Um... <laughs> Fair point. That's
3: just, the, the fans want to know, Eric, okay? you got to yeah, tell them. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah.
4: Right? You know, you, you, I, I, I would venture to guess the unknown right now for John Jones is because by the time he ends up fighting, it might be three years since we've seen him last in the cage. And let, we have to be honest and transparent. The Dominic, Dominic Reyes fight, the Thiago Santos fight, it didn't feel as if it was the John Jones of the past. Now, is that because he was uninterested? Is that because he wasn't training the way he needs to be training? Could be, could definitely be. But I don't want to allow. I would say I don't want him to allow. I want us to be the first fight for John Jones in the heavyweight division for many, many reasons. But number one is because John is so good at adapting and understanding. If he fought Stipe before us, and let's say he wins that fight but has some hiccups in that fight, he's able to go back to the drawing board and fix those things. Yes. I want him to have to figure that shit out with 275 pound Francis Naganu standing in front of him, ready to take his head off. You got to figure that shit out right now with us in that cage. So there's things that I've seen that I think we can exploit. There's things that I seen that can, can ultimately be, you know, the reason why John wins those fight this fight, but it's my job as the coach to hide those holes or to fix those holes or to make those holes. Some of our advantages, like we saw in the gone fight. So the unknown for me is, is what is John Jones doing behind the scenes with uh, Brandon Gibson, a great coach, great friend. I got to believe that these guys are adding new tools and, and getting that experience in, but there's nothing like the experience you get being in the cage, with the heavyweight champion staring in front of you, and you got to figure that shit out right then and
2: there.
3: Oh, put that in Raider Stadium, please. Let's make this the Super <laughs> Man, Bowl of MMA. Okay. I, mean, I got a phoner her uh, over here, Whoa.
2: Coach. From someone who calls himself Who MMA, he asks: When Francis Ngannou hit the Metzger takedown on Cyril, I almost jumped through my ceiling. What's one of the most joyful moments you can remember of a fighter executing a surprising technique in a fight that worked hard? They worked hard on in training.
4: Well, I think the, that would, you know, obviously that has to rain pretty high. Um, we in the gym saw this for about two years. And it was, it was under wraps and there was grumblings about it because we saw what Francis Ngannou was doing even in the Stipe fight. We had to tell this guy, you got to let this, this guy up. They're TKOs. No one can get up off the bottom with them. And I'm talking accomplished high-level UFC fighters that are ranked. Not going to throw him under the bus and name names, but it was impressive to see to the point where guys from the UFC PI were coming over to watch the sparring rounds and going, are you looking to take Stepe down and beat him up? And I'm like, it's a possibility. I'm telling you, we wanted to throw wrinkles in his game because we knew that eventually when you got to the highest level and you're defending your title, somebody's going to come along and nullify your power. And if we don't have another pitch in our arsenal, if we don't have a slider or changeup and all we have is a fastball, man, I'll tell you what, we're, not, we're doing ourselves a disservice not only as a coaching staff but to our fighter by not allowing him to grow and, and put these other tools in his tool shed. So watching him be able to transition over into this all of a sudden Francis Ngannou, the grappler, was definitely one of my more proud moments as a coach and being able to see him execute it live in a fight and surprise the shit out of everybody
3: i mean look you and i were the only people that knew he was going to wrestle i you know it came to me in a vision and you prepared for it it's amazing i want to stay there real quick though i I think that victory by Nganu, given the knee injury given the contract situation it was one of the greatest fuck you wins in the history of combat sports how bad was his knee give us a a feeling of like what a handicap that actually was that he had to overcome against cyril Gunn.
4: Well, let's put it like this, BC, myself, Dewey Cooper, uh, Markel Martin, every one of us felt that it, he should have pulled out of the fight, you know, um, we're, we're literally walking around with an NFL lineman knee brace for four weeks, Damn. so, so we're, we're, um, I, I know they came in and filmed a little bit of the documentary series for him, I think he's going to release it on his YouTube, but a little insight for, for my morning combat friends and family, this was the Friday The Friday before we leave for fight week we all sit down and have a meeting this is at the PI this is our last sparring session and I get a call from Markel our manager and he basically puts it on my lap to say I think we got to pull out of this fight he's in LA can you be the one to kind of serve this message and I'm freaking in tears because we here we are we put this whole camp together we're ready to go we're a week out away We don't understand if we're gonna fight or not. Dr. Elitraj basically calls and says, he can have irreversible knee damage if he decides to take this fight. So we get back to the PI. We have this little meeting and sit down. I look over at Francis. I said, I I, I damn near start crying. I was like, bro, we gotta pull out of this fight, man. Like they're telling me that you might not even be able to fight again. So we have this whole long drawn out talk. Francis stops and kind of looks over and he's like, well, I kind of put a damper on sparring for the day and you know one of those things and so I said to him I said look all I want for you from today if you're going to spar let's spar but we got to take this knee brace off this thing's giving you a false sense of reality I want to see you spar without this knee brace on let's make one decision at a, at a time and I'll tell you what guys he goes in and spars and it was the best I've ever fucking seen him mm-hmm. like he drops this guy two or three times. I look over at Coach Dewey and I'm like, well, what do I say now? Like, look at him. He looks fine. <laughs> so we go, we go to LA with the understanding of if we're gonna meet Dr. Elitraj and we get there on Tuesday, if Dr. Elitraz tells us that we cannot fight, we're gonna pull out of this fight. if Everybody in agreement, and everybody shakes their head. Great, this is what we're gonna do. We get there, we land. He goes and sees the doctor he makes us all go to lunch he calls us he says "Come pick come pick me up we're ready to go we get in the car we're all waiting for our fate he's sitting in the front seat i'm sitting in the back seat and i go so what's the word and he leans back and he has this big smile on his face he goes we're fighting boys right we're all clapping we're all cheering or whatever so we drive for about three or four minutes later and i'm like so what did he say? Like, what did the doctor say exactly? Is your knee good? And he re- looks back and goes, fuck no. He said to pull out. My knee's shattered. I shouldn't fight this fight, but we're doing it anyway,
3: boys.
2: <laughs> Holy shit.
3: <laughs> mobbles. Big mobbles. I don't, I don't understand it. It's, it's insane. So
2: wait, hold on. We got to follow up. So Francis wins and goes back to the locker room. What did he say about his knee or discomfort or anything? Like, what, what was he telling you about what he went through?
4: Oh, he was, he was in, he was in so much pain in the first, first two rounds. I mean, he, uh, he didn't say anything to me on the stool. Um, but I can tell by his face and his body language that he was concerned. And he said that he was like, man, like I could not move. I could not plant my foot. I couldn't get any lateral movement. I couldn't track him down. I couldn't this, I couldn't that. But Francis has a, a fuck it switch and I've seen him pull it. I've seen him hit it where he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't give a shit about my knee anymore. I don't give a shit about what the UFC said. I don't care about anything. I'm going to go win this fucking fight. And that's just kind of his mentality, guys. Like, you know, whatever he's been through in his past, there's, there's no person I've ever met in my life that has been through the things that Francis Ngannou has been through. So when you guys saw that moment, 2-2 going into round five, it was a sense of belief and, and relief for me knowing that I knew I had the better athlete on the stool right then and there. I looked yeah. over at Gon and I go to Francis, I pointed at him when we were getting him on the stool, I think there's some, I, I, I'll try to find the video, where I made it loud and clear that Gon was broke. And I wanted Gon to hear me say it and I wanted Francis to say it because of body language. I go, look at that motherfucker, he's broken. And we both looked over at him and I saw Francis just go like, yep, he's broke. And Francis was tired. Francis, you know, he was just as tired as gone. We know that. But that's something that Randy always ingrained in this, in this room was body language. He said, I know I'm just as tired as this guy, but if I can fake it more, if I can make that guy feel like, fuck, this guy's not tired, there's a breaking point there for that other athlete. And I felt like we were able to exude that in that moment. And I knew that Francis was the better athlete at that time. And he was going to see his way through any adversity. Didn't matter if he had one leg, one arm. He was going to find a way to win that fight and kudos to him guys, because he deserves all that credit. And I told him that right after the fight, this win is on you. All of us said, pull out of this fucking fight. You're crazy. And if you go in here and do what you can do, and we believe in you, the moment he said, we're taking that fight. No, at no time do we ever talk about his knee again. That's an afterthought. We don't give a shit anymore. We're riding in this thing or we're doing it together. We're not making we can make any excuse, win, lose or draw. But if you win this fight, brother, this one's on you, man. You, you made this shit happen, and kudos to him.
3: Dude, I appreciate you sharing that insight because it just adds to the, the legend. And the, that's you know, incredible. The mythical, the mythical folk hero that is Francis Ngannou, right? There, there will be a movie about him. I found the perfect fan question. I'm sorry that we have to transition to, Coach. It's from at Uber on Twitter. I don't know if that's his real name. Should ask what kids used to call him when he was growing up. Eric Nutsack had to be a top one. Look, these are the fans, I'm sorry for the the lack of quality control. They want to know, okay?
4: I I never got that one, but that one's pretty good. I might adopt that one as we go through. Uh... You know, yeah, I mean, my, the last name is is certainly uh, different, you know, and I, I would get I would get picked on quite a bit for it. But, you know, thankfully, I was kind of a big kid and, uh, you know, no one really messed with me too much. So, yeah, but Eric, that's a pretty good one. I have to use that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, never, it never occurred to me either, but we're also, you know, not mentally brain damaged. So that, that perhaps that's why. <laughs> uh, Coach, I got to say, it's been fun having you. This is great. Oh, last one from the fans before from me, by the way, before you go here. Uh, actually, I, th- I think it comes from our producer who's curious. Who are some up-and-coming guys at Extreme Couture that we should be looking out for? Maybe ones outside of the UFC, maybe not even pro yet. But who do you have your eye on as that next-gen Extreme Couture guy
4: or lady? Oh, man. You, you guys, I got, I got two right now, and, and they're, 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 they're contrasting fighters. And one is a Hawaiian striker named uh, Puni Pagoa. Puni Braden, he fights for LFA right now. I met him. Um, I met him with you. You did. You did meet yeah. me with him, man. And I'll tell you what, Luke, the, the kid, what I love about his mentality is he's been working on the things that, the weaknesses, right? If, if Before, if you scored a takedown on the kid, the, the round's over. But now, he's now chained up with another kid who is my next prospect is Kobe Fair. Kobe is a, a wrestler from Notre Dame, from Ohio. Um, he is that Jake Shields prodigy that we're seeing in the gym, the ground and pound guy but where he lacks is maybe that striking but now we're able to put him and pooney together these young up and comers and one hand is watching the other man these guys are taking care of one another but you're seeing their game elevate week by week every day on this in this mat i watched kobe yesterday and we went over a series we call the ball and chain from from randy it's basically in the, in the half guard position where the guy on bottom goes knee shield we lace underneath the arm and ball and chain and pull and thread that top side arm through the bottom leg. And it's an awful ground and pound position to be in. So we started working some of these techniques with Kobe and watched him just literally manhandle three guys yesterday with this ball and chain technique and working this ground and pound. And then you go and watch Pooney on the other side who can hit from both stances, He's a natural orthodox guy, but we moved him over to southpaw because we wanted his strong hand up front. But by doing so in the evolution of the fight game, it's important to be able to strike from both stances, but understand the reasons why we do that. And now he's kind of taking that game and evolving into his own. And his striking is, in my opinion, one of the best in the gym. If we get a green light or we got to make somebody, you know, we got somebody's got to pay in the room. It's always nice when you put the flyweight on him because he looks so unassuming. (laughs) We put the flyweight on the on the welterweight or the or the middleweight guy and and we'll let Pooney have his heyday with him and I'll just cash app him fifty bucks every time he drops somebody with a body shot.
3: Uh, coach, I couldn't let you go or finish talking about Extreme Couture without getting a Cheyenne Vlismus upstate. Yeah. I mean, she's one of our favorite fighters in the game. You are, you you know, are so
2: pathetic. I mean, she you're just brings, the worst human on earth. She
3: brings bar fight energy to the octagon, and I can appreciate that, okay? I,
2: I,
4: I'll tell you what, man. I, I love Cheyenne. And uh, one of her amateur fights, she was fighting Vanessa, um, the girl that's actually in the UFC now. And Cheyenne probably 10-aided this poor girl in the first two rounds and Cheyenne spiral fractures her arm on a takedown, gets up and her arm is dangling, and tries to hit Vanessa with her Damn. broken arm. I'm not I can't make this shit up, guys. Mark Smith looks over at me and this girl's arm is dangling and Cheyenne's don't don't stop the fight. I'm fine. I'm like, your arm is completely broken. That is yeah. that is Cheyenne Velismus for you, boys. She's a savage. Luke, I Coach, told you it. she's
3: I told you, Luke, she's coming on. I said it, okay? <laughs>
2: Yes, I, I, I know, BC. You did say it. Uh, coach, if it, folks want to get uh, more from you and follow you on social, where can they go?
4: Uh, Eric underscore XCMMA. That's my best uh, way to follow me. We're on Twitter, guys, and I'm pretty active on there. So if you, if you hit me up or you got some questions about things, um, I'm always trying to put some technique videos out. I usually try to tag Luke and those things. But uh, hit me up, man, if you got questions. I'm a pretty open book, so I'd love to be able to chat with you guys.
3: Coach, there we appreciate it. it. Great chatting with you. UFC 280 is tomorrow. One more sleep, as John Anik would say. We appreciate you, sir. Thank
4: you My so pleasure, much, guys. Coach. Hey, it's a dream come true, guys, and I mean that. I love the show. I love both of you guys, and uh,
3: it's been an honor to be on.
2: Thank you, Coach. Thank appreciate you. you.
3: Thank you. Wow, Luke, what a start. How do we follow we that? You know what I'm saying? There you know what I'm go. talking about? There we go. Hashtag holy hammer to that right
2: there, right? <laughs> yes. Holy All right, hammer, everybody. indeed.
3: Uh, we have a very... Cool giveaway to announce. Speaking of Holy Hammer from our good friends at Money Lion. These guys just keep on bringing the hits. I really love this idea here. I'm so excited we have this on Morning Combat. Money Lion wants to hook you and a friend up with tickets to next Saturday's Showtime pay-per-view, October 29th, Phoenix, Arizona, Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva fight. It's going to go down in the suburb of Glendale at the Desert Diamond Arena you heard that right. Money Lion wants you there. And not only will they fly you out there, put you up in a hotel for the night, they're also going to hook you up with a pair of signed boxing gloves from Jake Paul and Anderson Silva themselves. It's one hell of a giveaway. And our fans, we love you. We appreciate you. You get us these awards. Money Lion wants to take part and bring you guys in. So here's how you can become eligible for this for next week. Download the Money Lion app today. Create a Roar Tag account. That's Roar, R O A R, Roar Tag account, and comment on social media with your Money Sign Roar Tag hashtag. Um, you must be 18 or over to enter. You have to be following Money Lion to win, and it's US residents only. This contest will be through next Wednesday during fight week. So if you're trying to go to this fight, make sure you enter ASAP. Again, our Money Lion friends giving away two tickets to Jake Paul, Anderson Silva, hotel, airfare, signed gloves. Uh, the details are in the description below, but you gotta you gotta log in and do this ASAP. Luke, not a bad deal. I mean, I, I'd even be willing to give the, the the prize winners some time with the MK boys. You down with that?
2: No, I would definitely not do that. Well, I'm kidding. I might, but the, w- just one more time. What if they have
3: g- good, good, good deltas? If they've got good deltas, they're in. All well, right? then
2: it's a guaranteed lock. I'd make time. But in all seriousness, one more time to remind folks how to do this. Again, they're going to fly you to the fight, put you up, give you tickets, sign pair of gloves, the whole nine. You got to download the Money Lion app and create a Roar Tag account. It's the dollar sign R O A R T A G, and then comment on social media with your dollar sign R O. A-R-T-A-G, your roar tag with a dollar sign in front. Again, in the description box below, you can check it out. Hopefully, we'll put that on the podcast notes as well if you get this on your favorite podcast platform. Again, you got to be 18 to enter, and you have to be following Money Lion to win U.S. residents only. But if you do those things, listen, what is wrong with a free flight, get to go to the fights, you get the freaking signed gloves, the whole nine. This is a hard deal to pass up. All you got to do is uh, a few simple steps.
3: You know, they said we can sweeten it with one more. You can share a vape with Luke Thomas. Watermelon for everybody, okay? Watermelon ice. stick swap with Luke Thomas. Join today. Thank you, Money Lion. All right, Luke, Wednesday show, we went ham on doing the, there it is. There it is. I had a vape company
2: reach out to me to sponsor me, and then I was like, what is the compensation package? And they go, we'll give you free vapes dude I'm you like, have
3: to please say yes, no please.
2: hell no i'm not doing that what do you think i'm some peasant but you gotta pay me cash fuckers i love this you're like you think i'm you think i'm not good enough to do that
3: i mean this guy will vape on air like a dub tub dub tea piece of shit but he's like no you gotta pay me money you gotta to pay you, you
2: can't pay me in vapes you gotta pay me cash all right, all right.
3: Uh, Luke, we already went ham on Wednesday show with our detailed X's and O's preview prediction segment. Of course, if you missed it, don't don't miss what we did with Chuck Mindenhall. It's pregame preview UFC 280 available right now. Uh, YouTube.com/slash Morning Combat. We did want to hit the last few days though, Luke. Let's get a roundup. We've had press events, we've had weigh-ins, we've had press conferences. We've had a lot going on with all things UFC 280. As we speak right now with this main event, an update from our friends at DraftKings. Charles Oliveira, a plus 160 underdog to regain his title, Islam Mahachev, minus 190. Luke, do you have any fight week takeaways from hearing the guys speak from, you know, the last, the the embedded, everything we've seen for all things Oliveira, Mahachev? It looked like a tough weight cut for Charles Oliveira. His team, they had a team of like 30 around him. They documented his every move, but we're in, we're ready. This fight's going
0: down. Anything you learned this week?
2: Honestly, I, I, I the fights are so good, and the the beef feels. This is always true. I'm not saying anything that's not usually true, but it feels very pronounced. How the fights are so amazing, and the card is so amazing, and I understand you got to sell the beef angle to the casuals, and the casuals are the biggest audience, and it's on pay per view. I get it. I get it. I'm just saying it. It just seemed this week in particular, BC, so unnecessary, like so almost a distraction. To what was actually happening about oh look here comes islam walking by Oliveira in the hotel yeah okay they fucking walk by each other in a hotel like nothing happened there was no story there but they were trying to sell that it just is a reminder that when the fights are so good and the event is so good and by the way no one to this point knock on wood i'll just say to this point no one's had a weight issue obviously everyone made weight no one's you know pulled out from the fight on the on the main card again knock on wood but like everything is just lining up to this point the way that it has supposed to be. I did notice that uh, Oliveira had a bit of a rough cut, but at the same time, BC he had his whole team around him, like like dozens of guys cheering him. They brought Brazil to Abu Dhabi to make this guy as comfortable as possible, and honestly, it looked like it worked. And everyone else did their job as a professional. Aljo and TJ looked to be in phenomenal shape. Sean Brady looks to be in phenomenal shape. Uh, Bilal Muhammad as well. Like, dude, this card is. I mean, you have to be a real, real salty dog to not like what's going to happen tomorrow Well, night, here's
3: the thing. Uh, now, normally the press conference, as you would say, is the gathering of the juggalos, and it had some of those elements to it. But I kind of liked hearing, uh, even with the, the translation delay, Charles in, in, in Islam, you know, getting roared up, starting to trade slings. And look, you know, a lot of people didn't like the TJ versus Aljo trash talk, maybe because they're both kind of like natural villains at heart, and maybe that's part of why this fight hasn't you know, grab the headlines the same as the others, but when Jan was was calling, you know, O'Malley basically a, a whore standing on a street corner, I kind of popped. I, I enjoyed the press conference. Is
0: that mean that's something a,
2: that's wrong? a funny one. He had a good even even O'Malley thought it was a funny line. I will say O'Malley's been kind of quiet this week. I mean, you know, he was taking pictures with various folks and he's been public and visible, but he's not been super chatty, from what I can tell. In fact, it's been everyone else around him that has been. I don't take that as anything other than I think he's focused on the task at hand, which is exactly what you would want. But it is noteworthy. He has not been chirping all that much.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We also got to see Caitlin Shikajian and uh, Manon Faroe. And uh, Luke, uh, did you see the bling that Faroe came out in? She looked like she was ready for primetime.
2: Uh, I did. It was a very, really, uh... listen, I don't understand the way young people dress, which is an old man thing to say. Yes, um, But it is also true. I do not understand the way 20-something's dressed. But, of course, I'm not supposed to. It's not for me. Right. So there you go.
3: Well, let's close out our anticipation and, and and set up here for all things Olivera Mahachev. And, by the way, there was some great stat, I think, that uh, Jedi Goodman had tweeted out about the list of fighters in history who have had win streaks in the UFC, 10 or more. This is the first matchup where both fighters have. Look, all the names on there are, like, the seven or eight greatest fighters of all time. So we have to really embrace what we have here, uh, in terms of, you know, the, the style contrast and the accomplishments and the skill level. This is a badass fight. Both guys have been making the media rounds this week as well. Luke, let's shout out our colleague here, uh, Shaquille Majori of CBS Sports, Canada Zone, Shaq MMA on YouTube. Uh, he's been doing great work. You sometimes see him or his stuff on here. He had a, a, a chat this week with Islam Mahachev. Luke, it's doing nearly 200,000 views on YouTube. You see this?
2: Yeah, I did. Good for him, dude. That guy knocks on every door he can, so good for him to get this Yeah, one. shout
3: out to Shaq. Well, we got uh, two excerpts from that. So, Islam said, look, it's not going to be long before an eventual move up to 170, but here's what he
0: wants to accomplish first, entering his first title shot before then. A lot of people really wanted to know, um, will Islam move up to welterweight at some point? What do you need to accomplish in the lightweight division before you say, okay, it's time? Whenever that might be, one year, two year, ten years. What do you need to finish at lightweight first?
5: I need to defend this belt like minimum three, four times. And uh, when I, when I see some, like you know, some situation in my division, like I don't want to like Kamaru, he beat again like same opponents. I don't want to this. Mm. I'm going to try to fight other division for my legacy now.
3: And secondly, talking to uh, Islam, of course, about this matchup, uh, this is an incredible win streak for Oliveira. What went wrong, though, for everyone else, and how will Islam be different this time around to end this incredible win streak for Oliveira? Let's hear what Shaq and Mahachev had to say.
0: What do you think other fighters have gotten wrong in their approach when fighting Charles Oliveira? Because thus far, it seems like everyone has been hesitant one way or the other.
5: Uh, honestly, everyone, you know, from the last, his opponent, tried to knock him out. All these guys knock him down, but nobody go to the ground and try to finish him there because all these guys scare, you know, his grappling skills. That's why it's a big problem. He let him get up and... Again, they try to like land that hard punch, and all these guys so tired. This is, I think, big mistake.
3: Look, do you have any thoughts on Islam's words?
2: I think that's exactly correct. Uh, now it's I, Islam doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who is likely to knock down Oliveira on the feet, although stranger things have happened, it certainly is possible. Uh, one wonders, but. What I would say is that I think that's right. Like, everyone has kind of tried to fight fire with fire with him. Like, here comes Oliveira with all this offense. I'm going to meet him in the middle with the offense, and mine will overwhelm his. And then that tends to not work. In fact, his offense, Oliveira's, has overwhelmed all of theirs every single time, even though Oliveira has had you know moments where we talked about it with Eric Nixick. He gets dropped or he gets hurt. It just wasn't enough. This is why I think you know the odds, you can say that they're wrong, but they should be close, even if you want to have Oliveira As your favorite BC, it's because you got a guy in Islam who since that, again, we talk about the initial loss, but since certainly since the Saryukian fight and even before that, but really you're seeing it since then, very defensively sound, very defensively sound, doesn't try to walk into, I think he really learned his lesson from that fight where he did lose. And so rather than trying to just, you know, I'm going to overwhelm him with his his, uh, onslaught, it looks to me like he's going to try and diffuse it uh, slowly over time. Will it work? I don't know, but it is a very different approach from what you saw from Chandler, from Poirier, from Lee, from other guys. Yeah, Gagey.
3: for sure. Uh, we're right around the corner from getting into this undercard and all things Bilal, Sean Brady. But first, Luke, that co-main event, uh, updated odds from DraftKings at the moment. Aljamain Sterling, your plus 175 underdog TJ wow. Dillashaw.
5: Wow. I'm sorry,
3: let me take that back. Minus 175. Sterling is the favorite. Plus 150, though, Dillashaw is the underdog. It seems like it's gotten a little bit closer here. Uh, you heard from Eric Nixick, who's now the other side of the coaching brain at the moment for uh, for Sterling. But, of course, he comes from Ray Longo, Long Island, and all things there. Shaq also caught up with Ray Longo. And, Luke, as much as, you know, it matters or not entering into the handicapping of this Aljo versus TJ fight, the reputation, the drug use of TJ, it's like we're still talking about it. Should we still be talking about it? Here's what Coach
1: Longo had to say. Look, I think it's it's a really worthy narrative because the guy's a cheater, he's a convicted cheater. So what do we just brush it under the rug like it never happened? You know, uh, Shaquille, they come out with a, an alarm tomorrow on a new car, and it's it that it, they already figured out how to break into it a day later. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So with this type of stuff, if you're addicted, right? Because that's an addiction. Like, why would you cheat? I, I I have no idea. I've never I've never done it, so I don't know. I don't know what the effects are, but you have something going on that's negative to make mm. you do that. That that's pretty rotten in this sport. Like you're purposely cheating, right? So if you don't think that there's a possibility that he got caught and he understands why he got caught and he didn't fix that, then I think that would be a naive way of looking at it. But yet yeah, you have to be aware. I guarantee you one thing. If Aljo loses that fight, he's not bringing that up. He's not going to do a Mark Hunt. It's that I, I don't. I, I I would find that hard to believe. But I think it's a worthy narrative, just to maybe prevent other people from doing it in the future. And I feel like he's doing the right thing. He he has to do that to highlight. You know, this is what goes on sometimes in the sport, and it's not right.
3: Now look, you and I are. I'm becoming more like you. I don't know. Should I call you liberal or ultra conservative in your PED takes? I guess it depends on your stance, but I'm becoming more like you. And when I hear this narrative, it's not untrue, but the reality of the testing system is when you pass, we don't know if you're dirty or not. We can really assume a lot. And I think you're naive to assume that people aren't being dirty. So the system is the way the system is. And if TJ passes the test and gets into this fight, no matter how shredded he looks or acne we find on his back, or, you know, if he wins by knockout in the first round, the way the system is set up, if this guy passes, he passes, dude. So um, should we just bury this? I mean, I don't know what to do in the modern era with convicted users who do their time and come back. Keep mentioning it or just go, you know, this is the game we play.
2: Well, I mean, you just have to decide what the value is of USADA. Right. I mean, the idea would be that they caught him. He served a a long suspension, two years, lost his title. Right. There was a real problem there. And so you would say, okay, well, is the system working or not? Um, And so he has been back with USADA for however long it's been since he returned. And he has, to our knowledge, not had any kind of issue. Either you have trust in that system or you do not. I do not, to be quite clear. Um, I mean, there's some obviously value to it, to the extent you want to screen for these kinds of things. But it's hardly... As, as ironclad, I think, as folks might imagine it to be. Um, but, you know, the the real test is not uh, whether or not this promotion has this kind of testing or that promotion that doesn't. The question is merely, do you have tested or untested? That's really the clean or dirty, whatever word you would like to use. And by the way, these are all terms that anti-doping has forced on the conversation to moralize it in certain ways. I want to be very clear about that as well. But, you know, there's one thing I think Ray Longo said, which was, again, if you agree to a certain set of rules, you cannot break them. So TJ did wrong, and he did serve a punishment, and he is under what everyone tells me is a very good sort of screening system. But the other thing he said was, like, this is an addiction here. No, it is not. No, it is not. That is not pharmacologically true. That is not – it could be, like, a psychological crutch in the way that he feels like he needs it for competition. But in any kind of pharmacological sense, that there's no addictive properties, that's simply not accurate – in, in the way he's uh, describing it there. And I love Ray Longo. He's great. And I understand a coach also. I I think, listen, it's the fight game. You are allowed to bring up just about sort of like legally defamatory stuff. And even then people bring it up, whatever you want. TJ did this. He ha- he agreed to this system. He agreed to be a part of USADA. He agreed to the punishment. He ag- He ag- wanted to come back. Well, this is what you have to deal with. I just want everyone to understand this moralizing process where we go through it. It tries, to, it tries to hide what the real conversation is about why guys use it or why guys feel like they need it, what benefits it actually confers and what it all means. They want to make it as about good versus evil when they, when we know for a fact that's really not how this goes.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, the, the decider is the, the testing system. So if you pass the testing system, that's why when people fail and then they still want to go forward for the fight, then it's a clown show. Then it's like, what are we doing right. here? You put the system in place, whether the system is legit or it's just there to cover your ass. I, I just don't... I don't know. I don't. I don't like that from Longo, but I I disagree with you. I think there is an addiction element to it. Even things that are not science addiction. You know, the people say you can't be addicted to weed, Luke. Remember what Bob Saget said in Half Baked?
2: No. Oh,
3: I don't know if I can repeat that here, but it was very funny. Okay, the late Bob Saget. Thank you. Uh, I feel like you can be addicted to anything, Luke. Okay. I want to close quickly before we get to the undercard. Here is Coach Longo on the on this this question that's coming up a lot. Aljo just went to the next level against Jan in the rematch. What more can he show us that we haven't seen heading into this, or not? Maybe. All right.
2: That was a fun clip.
3: Yeah, it was great. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thanks. All right. We'll just. I guess we'll just keep going then. Uh, that's your co-main event right there. Um, yeah, it was great talking to you guys back there. Thank you. Okay. Uh, We'll keep going here. Luke, the rest of 280, and look, we haven't previewed this. We haven't hit it. And when we're talking about this key welterweight top 10 title positioning bout between Bilal Muhammad and the red-hot 15-0 Sean Brady, we are talking about a little bit more than the storylines of Habib and Bilal's corner, what's at stake for them as fighters. I mean, that's pretty important. But, Luke, what about what's at stake for this underdeveloped left Outside of my bicep tricep area, right here, Luke. What is at stake right here? I mean, are we really doing this? Is this re- is this really happening here, Luke?
2: It's. A, I mean, it's not a chore for me. It'd be a delight for me. The question is, what does it mean for you?
3: <sighs> All right, we'll get to that point. If you oh, look, if you've been sleeping under a rock, you know we had Sean Brady on Room Service Diaries. You know we said for his next fight, which we knew was going to be a big top ten fight. If you win it, Sean's idea: we'll go to Philly. We'll eat tacos. We'll get tattoos together and this virgin cherry body, pale cherries, will get popped, Luke, in front of your eyes. If Showtime provides a doc cam and Jake and they pay for the tat. Is that realistic, Luke?
2: I if Sean Brady wins, it better be.
3: Because, you know, people think I'm scared. I'm willing to do this shit because I give my word. E- everyone thinks you're going
2: life. to welch on this deal. I want I I've I've seen the comments on social media. Everyone's okay. like, you "No know, BCs not doing this."
3: Well, you read my rider, Showtime. Pay for the tat, Jake and the doc cameras. You know, cuz Luke, there are very few things in life I don't like. I'll tell you what they are, okay? You ready? Spiders, black licorice, chicks with tattoos, ma- male ass tats. And needles. And that's it, Luke. I hate that shit. So for me to, you know, I'm putting, I'm putting it, I'll put my life on the line here. I mean I'm 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 all in on this, Luke. Okay. I know the fighters will be as well, so let's get serious for a second. The preliminary featured bout on ESPN in a reminder, we've been saying noon Eastern. It's 2 p.m. Eastern Saturday afternoon from Abu Dhabi. This card. The early prelims start at 10 a.m. though. But, look, this is your featured ESPN afternoon delight. Bala Muhammad is a plus 120 underdog, minus 140 Sean Brady. Break this fight down to me. What should we be looking for? Because this is a hell of a matchup.
2: Well, I got to tell you, these guys are uh, about as closely matched, not just an ability, but or seemingly an ability, I guess we'll see tomorrow, but the stats are... I mean, they, they're they like mirror images of each other. It's the, it's the Spider-Man meme pointing at each other here a little bit, right? So they're both, uh, for example, Bilal Muhammad, 5'11", Sean Brady, 5'10". Bilal Muhammad, an average fight time of 13 minutes and 56 seconds. Sean Brady, 13 minutes and 3 seconds. Now, Sean Brady is about four years younger, so there's a little bit of a difference there. But how about strikes landed per minute? Bilal Muhammad, 4.31. Strikes absorbed, 3.58. He has a nice differential. A little bit narrower for Sean Brady, but not by a whole lot. He has 3.91 strikes landed per minute, 3.22 strikes absorbed. So has a positive differential of about 0.7. Uh, you got about a 0.8 for Bilal Muhammad. Striking accuracy, 43% for Muhammad, 54% for Brady. Striking defense, 59% Muhammad, 62% Brady. And even in the grappling, 2.29 takedowns per 15 minutes for Bilal Muhammad, 322 for Brady. Takedown accuracy is where they differ a little bit, although you got to remember Balah Muhammad is, you know, very good about chaining takedowns together. 35% accuracy, which is low, but again, not really the full story. 60% for Sean Brady. Takedown defense. 91 versus 87. I mean, on and on, these guys are just right next to each other, very, very close. It's the the difference between them is going to be just, I honestly think, who can get after it first. Both of these guys cannot let the other one begin to set the tone, and then you're fighting on the other guy's terms to get back to neutral or something else. The, the person who wins this is going to be the one that is absolutely getting after it, defining the complexion. And honestly, it's really hard to tell. I'm riding with Sean Brady because I think he's a great friend of the show, and I think you know, he is a, um, a talented uh, potential title contender in this division. But you know, Bilal Muhammad is a guy who's proved a lot of people wrong. I raised my hand as, as being one of them. It's a it's a really, really, really tough call, BC. I wonder if you have a, a gangster lean one way or the other on this one.
3: I'm getting what's really the beginning of a vision right now. Probably in about a minute, I'm going to have it full. I'm starting to be able to see what this fight's going to look like. But before we get there, Luke, as we look at this now, Sean Brady, we love the guy. He's been on our couch. I'd hang with him any day. I'd love to eat tacos with him. But the fighter, Sean Brady, is there any concern? I mean, if would you say, you know, his biggest win to date before this was Michael Chiesa, prob- maybe, probably, but... There's that narrative that he faded late. How big of a, of a you know, potential pitfall is the, the hangover of that? Does he have to prove us wrong in that category to win this fight against Bilal?
2: So there was that, but he, remember he I spoke to him about that here on Morning Combat um, in a separate interview right after the, the time that that fight took place, and he told me he, his nose was broken right at the beginning of that fight, so he was just swallowing blood left and right, left and right. It was distracting. It was difficult. You know, And I think there's still probably an argument to be made about does he have enough ground and pound when he gets to control positions? He obviously is strong as an ox. We had Michael Chiesa sit on the RSD couch, and he was like, holy shit, Sean Brady is so fucking strong. So we know he can get to those positions. Can he make enough of that work? I tend to think that that performance was not his best showcase. This should be a better one, at least in terms of like the totality of what his true abilities are. So it could be true that he fades, and if he does, in a three-round contest, it would be worse than a five, but in a three-round contest, Muhammad is not going to fade. Like, we can say that very clearly. Muhammad is not going to fade. So I do think it will be interesting in the third round. I just don't know if we have enough evidence to affirmatively conclude Brady fades in that third round. And, you know, I do think, I mean, look at the, look at these two physically, like, put that, put that last photo up well, of them two standing out. side by side. The stare down down
3: was intense. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Remember
2: something. Blah Muhammad is jacked as shit, okay? Yeah. Look at Sean Brady's back. He doesn't have poor posture. I want to be clear about that. (laughs) His muscles just keep going. He is a fucking freak from Philadelphia. And by the way, BC, you know, there are you know sports rivals to the north. Philly sports is on fire right now. You got the Eagles, I think the only undefeated team in the NFL, the Phillies out there doing well, I think, obviously, in the NLCS. It's amazing what's happening in Philly sports, so maybe Sean Brady can keep that going.
3: Absolutely. The staredowns between these two have been intense. Uh, the crowd we know is going to be for uh, Muhammad. They've been embracing all the Muslim fighters in that area of the world, rightfully so, but I like that Sean Brady at least attempted to do his mic drop moment on them and and, and a little bit of a villain coming out of there. He's like Rocky in Moscow here, Luke. I love this matchup, but I do have a vision about this fight, and I want to put it out there, Luke, you know, I'm already under fire from my previewing on Wednesday's show, Luke. Sorry. You're under fire? <laughs> yeah, Luke, I'm sorry. You know, I dip too much in the entertainment jar sometimes. All right. Luke, I do believe in some of my weird transgressions in the way I look at fights. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I can give you a traditional preview too. This one feels more like a vision, though. People are gonna say I'm afraid, right, Luke? And I think they should believe I'm afraid. I'm afraid look, I hate needles. You know, am I the softest guy in the world, Luke, or do I just feel things more deeper and intense than the average guy? Is that why the three needles to the bag on the vasect was, you know, an an emotionally damaging moment in my life? You know what, here's the truth. Here's the
2: truth. I'm not a tough guy either at all. I I, I know I'm not. But here's the the one thing I can say for myself. I have signed up for situations that I hated the entire time. (laughs) like the Marine Corps. I mean, I like being in the Marine Corps, but the shit was hard, man. I didn't really, you know, it was <laughs> each time you went out there, it's like, Oh, it's going to be below zero. And uh, we have to go in the field and, uh, fire artillery rounds. It's fucking blows, man. I hate it. My toes were always cold. The shit sucked, but it, after it was over, I was like, I'm glad I did that. So like it has pushed me, pulled me whatever metaphor you want to use to a place. I would never have comfortably gone. I think the only difference between you and me is I don't think I'm tougher, but I've had to do tougher shit by dumbass choices that I've made All right. the well, course
5: this of may my life. A,
3: you know, this may be a dumbass choice, but am I signed up for this? Will, will I stand up on my own integrity forged in the fire of the factory town, Luke? You better believe I am. But visions are visions, Luke. We can't pick who we love. We can't pick what we see. And as BC goes deeper in this, it's coming, Luke. It's coming full circle here what I'm seeing. I can see it, I can see the head. I can see it. okay. What? Luke, here's the deal, okay? Here's the deal. I'm not doing this because I'm scared. I'm not doing this because it's a bit. It's what I see. I love Sean Brady. I want that guy to go 16-0 and be the champion and wear our drug rug at the next UFC press conference. But Bilal Muhammad is tough. He's got the best hits in UFC, and I've seen them all, Luke. And he's got a motor. He's got Habib in his corner for whatever you believe that that is. But over three rounds, if his physical toughness and takedown defense can be at least a halftime factor, a part-time to mid-time factor here, keep his back off there and turn this into more of a striking battle, we know he can survive in a grinded-out war. We know that he's about that. I think three rounds won't be enough, meaning I think this will be a fairly even fight. But at the end of three rounds, Muhammad's going to win a close decision and advance to that next level. And you could say that uh, you know I'm fearful about the needle and, and the damage done, and that's true. But if Sean Brady wins this, I'll be fired up for my boy, and I'll be there with the the needle and the spoon in Philadelphia, Luke. Whatever you got, whatever you need from me, okay? I'll donate the blood. I'll I'll, I'll do the shit, okay? But you better remember the name because it's going to be his time here in Abu Dhabi on Saturday. It's what it's what it's what I've seen.
2: Okay, I've seen you that. Le- shit. You can leave the spoon at home, right? We're not we're not cooking drugs. That part is not going to help you. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I don't need that uh, rubber
3: band to just, to, you know, I don't need that shit. Okay. The
2: belt for your arm. You don't need any of that. You just got to be calm, relaxed, let the artist do his thing and you'll be okay. I'm going to ride with our guy Brady here. I think he gets it done. I think it's going to be tough as shit. It's going to be very tough. And I think there's no way that Bilal doesn't at least win a round, you know, and it probably going to be another controversial one there. But I Oh, think it's going to Brady... be a close
3: decision. It's going to yes. be a disputed one. You know it is.
2: Yeah, I mean, unless someone has a great burst of inspiration, I think these guys are just too tough for one another. For either of them to like really put it on the other guys, we'll see what happens. But I'm going to ride well, with Sean Luke, Brady. I think he's. I think this is his big breakout moment.
3: I believe our producers have been having fun in the Photoshop department, and they are imagining in a world already that Sean Brady is your next viable undefeated UFC welterweight title challenger. And here's some images of what it might look like. If BC is forced to go under the knife. I mean, well, look she, at that. Look at that the, beauty it's, it's right the, there. It's the
2: he boss tattoo he on tattoo on from her dad.
3: If you're like, will BC really get Emily Whitmire on his left forearm? You're damn right I will, Luke. Okay, happily.
2: Come here, Spitfire.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised that line didn't make the doc. I, I delivered it live right there, Luke. <laughs> it did happen. Okay. <laughs> I'm surprised. Uh, do we have any other, uh, did, do you have any other tat images? Or is this the only one we're playing with here?
2: Uh, that's the only one we had. Other ones, I don't know if they made it to the producer. Oh,
3: that's it. Thanks, guys. Good communication. All right, there we go. <laughs> I Appreciate. No, I seriously I appreciate all of our guys behind the scenes. Even though, didn't it sound like Manich was taking shots at me and Doc Seven, Luke? Did you did you get that feeling?
2: Yeah, I mean, you ask a lot of them. It sounded like he was bitter about it.
3: All right, uh, Luke. Do you want to talk about any other fe- featured prelim, early prelims, anything else we should be looking for? There, there is. Isn't Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov one of the guys that ran in and attacked Connor at UFC 229? Because he's back. I
2: can't, I can't keep track anymore. I will say that we have a fight listed here that is no longer on the card. Zubaira Tugugov, I think, versus Lucas... No, Or maybe it's the Mustafayev fight. may maybe the Zubaira Tugugov fight versus Lucas Almeida is off as well. I need to double-check that. But okay. uh, the rest of them, there's some good ones here. Mohamed Mukhaev is back. Great prospect. We'll see how he looks. Armin Petrosian seems to be, like, very talented, but a little bit lopsided in his skill set. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen there. As you mentioned, Number Nurmagomedov's on here. Uh, the one that's going a little bit under the radar would be the Vulcan Uzdemir-Nikita Krilov fight at um, 205 pounds. Uh, another very, very close contest. And then Kayo uh, Bohalio, who has like all the tats on his neck and shit, who's a really good grappler. He's on this card as well against Mahmoud Muradov. But other than that, I would like to move on.
3: All right, 10 a.m. Eastern kicks off those. Don't forget, 2 p.m. Eastern is your main card ESPN Plus pay-per-view. That's enough shilling in that direction. Can't wait, though. We'll be there. Topic number three, Luke, also going down. Is this tonight? Yes or no? Is this tonight? Yes,
2: it's tonight. Mm -hmm.
3: All right. It's one on Prime Video 3. I don't know the location here, but I'm sure our guy Brent Stover of CBS Sports will be there, Luke. He's the play-by-play voice. I saw pictures of him on Instagram in Kuala Lumpur. We know he plays a little country guitar. Maybe, maybe he's cleaning up. Maybe he's cleaning up. Dude, down my there, guy dude.
2: has to fly from the states to like Southeast Asia once a month.
3: Yes, that is
2: yes. a brutal stretch of well, uh, flying. Uh, man.
3: Yeah, depends how he spends his time. All right, look, This main event was uh, for the Ban Is this for the one bantamweight championship? It's John. It's like, why does we Brent know him? keep
2: flying to Bangkok even though the flights are in Singapore? <laughs>
3: Wow. All right. Fabricio Andrade is the opponent for John Lineker. But Luke, what has been going on with John and the scale heading into this bantamweight title? I just
2: want to point this out. This guy fought at flyweight in the UFC, missed weight like eight gazillion times. (laughs) This is uh, a bantamweight fight, so it's 135. Well, you would think it's 135. He has to make 145 because it's the one bantamweight. So it's actually, uh, for what we would call in the 10-point must system or whatever uh, the the, uh, American regulatory system, he basically failed a featherweight fucking weigh-in test. <laughs> like, yeah. and this guy fought at 125 at one point. What? He lost his fucking title on the scales. And I got to tell you, man, if you've not heard of his opponent, I watched tape on him uh, this morning for BCO de Andrade or for Recio Andrade. He is fucking awesome. Southpaw guy can strike his ass off. Lightning quick, combinations, devastating finisher. Has All kinds of knees and kicks and weapons and guys are approaching, retreating, you name it. Dude, John Lineker is probably the heavier handed of the two. Fabricio Andrade is 1,000% going to turn this into a very, very exciting striking bout. And of the two, he's the much more polished. Will it matter against the power punching? We'll see.
3: Luke, I got to say this. Separate from sometimes we take issue with things that Chautry says, one of late and in this prime video era has been perfect, but it's been good. And I'm, I'm... I'm learning left and right about who their true superstars and up-and-comers really are. Luke, Stamp Fairtex is on fire, Luke, and you won't you won't you won't accept this. She's coming on, not on this card, but she's coming on, okay?
2: Uh, yeah, she's a great fighter. I just, you know, the twerking thing can be your thing.
3: Well, I didn't say that it was, Luke. Okay, let's be fair, uh, Luke. Separate from Cade Ruotolo, who we're going to get to in a second. Anything else MMA that's jumping out at you on this card? There's a, you always get a mix from one. I mean, it's been exciting. Anything yeah, else? MMA. I mean,
2: there are some other fights on this card and uh, in MMA. None exactly grab me too much. Uh, you know, I I don't have a clear understanding of a lot of these guys. Some of them are more up and coming in the one system, so I'm not overly familiar. Obviously, this is a little bit more. They have a lightweight Muay Thai bout. They have a featherweight kickboxing bout, and then of course the other sort of gem on the card for North American fans would be. Cade Ruotolo taking on, I think, two-time world champion in Sambo Kurzev, Kurzev, which you know is a uh, it's a one-round twelve-minute contest. Remember, I think it was Cade who was the one who was pushing off the fence to fully take the back and whip around and choke out uh, Shinya Aoki. So, like these guys, man, the Ruotolo brothers, Cade is the one with the big hair, and and then uh, Ty is the one that's got it cl- um, shaved close. These two guys are not just really talented, BC. They're very creative, innovative risk takers I cannot state that enough these guys go for the finish and not like in that way we're like oh they go for the finish but then there's times where they don't know these motherfuckers are going for the finish Cade Rulotolo if you guys don't know youngest ADCC champion ever 19 years of age he had to have four matches to win it he won all four obviously all four by submission unbeat and the guys he beat Lachlan Giles fucking Mika Galvan we're talking about some of the very, very, very best grapplers, even at ADCC, and he submitted all of them. What a fucking amazing guy this, uh, this kid Well, look,
3: you know grappling's not really my bag, baby, but I've seen the response to your interview at youtube.com slash morning combat with Cade Ruitolo ahead of this lightweight submission grappling bout. Let's get a little excerpt for those that missed it. Here's Luke and Cade talking about the challenge ahead of him in Kurzev.
0: Man, so I know... um believe i could be wrong on this but a 2 time sambo ch- uh, world champion so i know he's gonna be coming in with very strong wrestling and judo background very uh you know maybe takedown oriented to start with um looks like you know a very physically strong person and uh it's gonna be interesting to see where his, his weakness lies you know i know that's also the sambo guys they love leg locks as well they can you know have a very unorthodox leg lock entries so that'll be interesting to see what he throws at me as well um you know, I'm very excited. I'm I'm not going to try and strategically go through the match where I'm like, hmm, if he has good wrestling, I'm going to pull or anything like that. I'm just going to, you know, go into it like I start every match on the feet, try to take the person down, pass and submit. That's kind of like our, uh, my brothers and I, that's been our essence of jiu-jitsu forever. And uh, that's going to be our plan going into no. this one.
3: Luke, can you set up our second clip here about the difference between doing this in a cage, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, cage. there's obviously, yeah, some folks will understand it from even from MMA terms, right? If your head is pinned up against the cage and you're on your back, it can limit some of your mobility. You can press off of it. But, you know, you got to remember all these ADCC matches, all these submission grappling matches, they're usually on an open mat. And so it really changes what kind of takedowns you can go for, what, what places you can pull guard or all kinds of different stuff. And I was asking him because we're talking about two of like the, the, Ruotolo, the Ruotolo brothers are very, very creative so I, I, you know, you might think of the cage as a limit, but for those guys, they're probably thinking about all the kind of ways they can use it to their advantage. So I asked him in thinking about some of these things, how does the cage change it for you in this circumstance? Is what he told me.
0: Great question. So in the moment, I had zero intention of doing it. I just was clenched up with him. I looked to my right, and I just seen the post there. I reckon if it was the cage, it probably I wouldn't have done it because I was scared to get my toes stuck in there. You know, we've seen those horror stories of John Jones' toe just in half. <laughs> definitely didn't want that happening. So uh, when I was clinched up with him, I looked to my right. i just seen the post. I was like, perfect. I'm just going to send it. And I just stepped off and just flew my, as hard as I could off the other direction. Uh, ended up getting the back off it, which is dope, which is dope. But uh, I think uh, the cage, it definitely, it definitely changes it a lot, a ton. Um, I think even in the match with uh, Ty and Gary, you, you, my brother, and, and the, the following match, you kind of seen it play into effect where you know Ty was setting up a darts and carry Gary yeah, couldn't really roll back because the cage was there. So he kind of rolled into the darts, right? So mm. there's definitely it definitely makes differences in matches. Um I think it'll be a definitely interesting my upcoming match here with Uali. Um as we're you know I feel like both you know pretty strong wrestlers, good stand-up, pretty strong judo. Um the cage is definitely gonna be played in effect. So we'll see who we can you know push who against who up the cage and, and use it better.
2: He's yeah. talking there about his brother Ty Ruotolo. He went against Gary Tonin. Everyone knows Gary Tonin, a John Danaher acolyte, a guy and a very, very highly accomplished grappler himself. And his brother Ty submitted him inside of the, the one cage by virtue of some of the effects you're seeing there. So he have you have one brother who is using that post with the padding to take Shinyaoki's back, did it in real time, just you know, he just thinking on his feet, and then the other case you saw it helped. His brother secured a submission over Gary Tonin by virtue of forcing him to roll a certain way. So the cage plays a real big factor in some of these submission grappling events. It will be interesting to see against a guy like his Osambo World Champion, who's, as he indicated, going to have very good judo, how that's going to play out.
3: One on Prime 3 tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, main card, Amazon Prime from Kuala Lumpur. Luke, it looks like uh, Cade Rutolo would be fun to hang with. It looks like he knows how to. It looks like loose and fun. And I, I mean, maybe we should, you know. Take yeah. this
2: on the road. You know? uh, I'll, I'll say this. Here's a little thing. He's a, he's a he's a cool kid. There was a giant bong in the background <laughs> the entire time in the video. I don't know if you can see it when the, when it fully goes on him. Uh, but you know, listen. These guys are natural athletes. But it, it, there's, a, you know, there's a there's a there's uh, a what do you want to say, BC? There's a rehabilitative aspect to marijuana use as well, yeah. and recreational beyond that. I certainly uh, throw. Also, uh, let, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. I would also, say, but
3: we like to party party yeah but I, like, I just want like to say party.
2: like these one cards there's a lot of names that you know a lot of folks are not going to know and it, we don't have time to get into that some of them anyway but you, know, you got to say dude like one you know i i, I want to be very clear about this they find guys who are action oriented these guys the ruotel brothers are action oriented i'm going to say it one more time we all know john lineker is action oriented his opponent fabricio Andraj, if you are not familiar Please trust me when I tell you that kid is all action, excitement, and brutality with his stand-up game. I cannot wait to see that tonight on Amazon Prime. For
3: more of Luke and Cade, check out YouTube.com/slash Morning Combat, and also another shout-out for Shaq MMA. That's his YouTube Twitter uh, channel for uh, Shaquille Majori. Great interviews ahead of UFC 280. Doing great work over there. Look, topic number four is a very interesting announcement. It's going to go down in Australia. February 11th at UFC 284. How about this middleweight clash? Former champion Robert Whittaker versus former title challenger Paulo Costa of The Secret Juice. Luke, your thoughts on this tasty offering.
2: So there's a lot to talk about here. First thing, forget the matchmaking implications. Just the fight itself. Dude, how do you not respect... What Robert Whitaker is doing. This fucking guy doesn't duck difficult challenges or whoever the top contender is ever, 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 ever. This guy is like, who's the toughest guy? Bring him. Who's the next toughest guy? Bring him on and on. He honestly fights the division, BC, like he is the champion. Now, I know he has yeah. the two losses to Izzy. Fair enough. Izzy is obviously, you know, an incredibly great champion, but he. Carries and conducts the way in which he navigates through the division as if he had a responsibility to uphold it by being the top guy and accepting the most difficult challenges. You just have to love this from him. I love the contest. I think Whitaker should win. I think he's just far more skilled than Costa, but Costa is dangerous as shit, which we know. So you can never look lose sight of that. There's also the matchmaking implications. So this does seem to match also what Dana White told our friend Oscar Willis of The Mac Life today which was that he is looking, if nothing is confirmed, but he's looking to put Hamzat versus Colby Covington as your oh. co-main event, as your co-main oh. event for Leon versus Kamaru 3, BC. Wrap your motherfucking head around that piece of news All right, if they can make it happen.
3: You, look... I know even Dana just yesterday, Luke, was on some podcast. I think it was like the Daughter of the Fertitas or something where, he again, he addressed for the first time that four-minute media video and trashed us scumbags all over again. But, Luke, separate from that, you got to call a guy out when they're doing well. When Dana and them get in the war room, they made the right decision here. Even though I'm telling you, I bought in on the idea of Hamzat versus Paulo Costa. Let's just do it, fuck it. Let's just have fun and put fireworks into a, you know, into into a building and see what happens. But the real right move from a promotional standpoint is to keep Hamzat until he officially proves that he can't consistently make the weight, keep him in the welterweight title picture. But what you love about this is he still has to pay a toll for missing weight as badly as he did. And that's one more stop before the title. Not only is Colby an incredible matchup, but it brings together two very big brands in in a just must-see fight for so many reasons. And if Hamza wins that, then there's nothing else. You know, if he makes weight and wins it, there's nothing else to do, but put him directly against the winner of that trilogy. And the fact that they're pairing it together, dude, this is top shelf matchmaking. They know what they're doing here. Let's give them the respect they deserve. Okay. It's
2: a phenomenal matchup. And I give credit to Paulo Costa too. Like he's taking on tough guys. There's no denying it. It does lead me to wonder what will happen with Izzy's future. If Robert wins and Izzy wins, obviously Izzy wins at UFC 281. Now, of course, That may not happen, but let's pause it for just a second that it does. I think that might hasten a move to 205. And maybe a move to 205 is inevitable no matter what happens with Izzy and Pereira. I guess we'll have to see. But I do think if Whitaker wins, BC, would you agree? At that point, he would have beaten Costa again, so you're not going to get that. Who would be the fresh contender? I think he might just go on to 205 after that. Dude, next year, if things play
3: out, the way they might, the way the odds will tell you is the is the most likely scenario, even though both fights will be great. Izzy versus Prochatsko for the 205 belt is one of the biggest, most juiciest, sexiest fights you can make. I'm not crazy. I know I'm not. I'm crazy in love with this fight.
2: Or what about Izzy versus Glover?
3: Touche. What about, or, you know, but he, but Izzy he versus Podeta part two? What about that? The que-
2: here's, here's the question. If Izzy beats Pereira, right? however you say it, if he does that, does he leapfrog the winner of Jan Blachowicz and uh, Magomed Ankalaev?
3: Yes, yes, he would. He's when so? he's ready to move up to two hundred five for good, which would also include you know changing his body and going all in on that. I. I don't, you know, he, he's not only a star, he's not only one of the pound for pound best, He's not only has the accreditation at middleweight to have already done this once, which is go up in weight directly to the title shot, but, you know, he was very competitive in that title shot loss, and what has he done since going back down? You know, beat Robert Whitaker and maybe beat Podeta, so, yeah, I'm, we're not going to see, here's my heres my guarantee, we're not going to see Adesanya-Whitaker three at middleweight. It's never going to happen.
2: Probably not. Probably. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing it, but probably not. Probably not. All
3: right, Luke, topic number five. So we've always been honest with our audience here, which is mostly MMA heavy, but we do have some real boxing fans. So, you know, some people did follow me here, Luke, from my previous stops. And we do successfully have conversion to people that were curious about boxing and they got a little taste of it and they liked it. But we have often told you, beware of side effects. This drug is so spectacular. Makes you feel like like you're alive. Like, it's limitless, right? I mean, it's it's just it's just amazing. But, you know, there's a toll to pay. There's a next morning. And we've been riding a two-year stretch in boxing where, for the most part, things have not only gone right, they've gone pretty damn great. But boxing usually, they used to have an every-other-year plan for my my prime boxing viewer dome in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, where it's like, well, it's really good this year, but, well, next year it'll suck. Luke, things are starting to suck right now. We got Tyson Fury Chisora 3 coming up for no reason. And did yesterday's announcement, or maybe it's this morning's, I don't know, I woke up to it. uh, Does this shatter the idea that we actually may never see Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence for all four welterweight world titles? The window may have closed because here's the news we woke up to. We know these two have been pushing out the deadline. We thought November, then maybe January or February. Will they sign? We hear contrasting reports about what the issue is. Terrence Crawford just announced today that in early December, He's going to fight David Avenesen and defend his WBO welterweight title on pay-per-view presented by BLK Prime for $39.95 on this subscription-only website and not Errol Spence on Showtime pay-per-view for all four belts and maybe the biggest fight of this era in terms of stakes.
2: Um, this fucking sucks, BC. This is lame as shit.
3: You want to know what BLK Prime is, so do I. So they are a fledgling streaming company that has a fight card coming up in November and they got the guy's name spelt wrong in the poster and the catchphrase is, it's bang time. Now, I'm down for bang time at any time, Luke. Too-y. But the prom- the promoter <laughs> of record for that show is the same Marv guy who just paid a shit ton of money, and even though we'd barely heard of Marv, to win that purse bid for the upcoming Rougarou versus Zepeda 140 pound vacant title fight, which some people were like, is this just like Daniel Kinahan Bellum money going around, you know, like, like coming back in? Look, I don't know how to ex- explain B-L-A- BLK Prime beyond the fact that it's been reported that they bring in six million a year, and this report from Mike Coppinger of ESPN says that Crawford is expecting a career-high, what's uh, eight-figure, $10 million payday. Not a single ounce of this makes any fucking sense, and there seem to be no pitfalls. Sources I talked to for the Spence-Crawford negotiations pretty much show that everybody agreed, despite some of the reports you hear negatively against that, and we're just waiting for the signature. This makes me feel, it has to make you feel like, Bud doesn't want this fight. How else could you frame this, Luke, beyond the questions we have of who's putting up that $10 million for a 3995 pay-per-view that no one's going to buy.
2: Yeah, I just I don't understand where that money's going to come from. I'm frankly skeptical that it will look like that in the end. And whatever he is going to get in the end for this fight, obviously it's a lot easier than fighting Errol Spence. I'm of the belief he would make more fighting Errol. Dude, this is fucking bullshit. This is bullshit. I, 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 am, I am, you guys know, I try to defend boxing where I think it deserves to be defended, which is, I've said it before, the fans do have to pay a tax Because these guys have more control over their own careers. And so things are a little bit more full of friction than they would be in a system where the UFC has majority control of the fighters. And so, yes, the fighters can say no, but there's a lot of top-down pressure. And so it's just a little bit easier to make those fights. Fine, fine. At some point, though, the boxer, the boxers, have to want more for themselves. They have to want to take a risk. There is at least some risk that they have to adopt not just for their own accolades but for the sport to function as it's supposed to for the biggest fights to be made they have to be willing to do that and I'm not going to say over the totality of Bud's career that's not happened but BC you could poke holes in anyone's resume including Errol Spence's but since 2017 I've even with all the issues he's had I really feel like he's taken on much tougher challenges now part of that is who he signed with but at some point it's like who you signed with now you're free now you do this bullshit you just can't tell me he wants this fight As aggressively as certainly the audience wants it, maybe Spence, I don't really know enough about that situation. But what I do know is, you're going to get paid for this. I don't believe that they're putting in all this nonsense about how he only is getting net benefit from whatever the financials are. I simply don't believe that report. I'm sorry, I don't. I think at some point, he just doesn't really, I think he wants the fight on certain terms, but not really all that much. I think Spence wants it more, and I know everyone's like, oh, you guys are Showtime guys saying that. Fine, fine, you can make whatever... You don't have to believe me. This is simply my opinion about the matter. But the guy who who split in the middle of negotiations to go take easy money against a fight that we know he shouldn't lose under any circumstance—you can't tell me that that one is the guy more committed to the process of the of a great challenge at this moment. You have a very hard time making yeah. that argument, and so it's just like, fucking bullshit, man. It's like Fury. If you you know l- these guys can do what they want, but you cannot expect us to pay for this shit. You really wait, really.
3: We've been waiting for Spence Crawford for so long. Not Mayweather-Pacquiao long, but it's getting closer. They're in their mid-30s. This is the final window that it would make sense and be a big deal. Two unbeaten guys, the two best of this era, all four belts. It just so happens, though, that if we were giving you an overly Showtime take, that this Show to pro Showtime take does align with every boxing fan's out there take, which is... From what we see, there's really no hurdles in this fight going on right now. It really should have been November nineteenth or whatever the date was in Las Vegas that was set down. Everything I've heard is Spence has really conceded anything that would have gotten in the way. They were willing to make a two-fight split here, at, you know, with the with the rematch option for the loser. And I don't know if Crawford is thinking to himself, "Well, I've only got you know one or two fights left anyway, so why don't I try to extend the Spence thing, knowing..." In theory, that's the only fight that matters, so if I keep pushing it out, I'll get more money. I don't know what Terrence Crawford is thinking, but this is a horrible look, and it's a kick in the face. I mean, not only have we been waiting so long, but this last year, there was nothing else to wait for. Spence just unified the other title. He knocked out Ugas. He brutalized him. Crawford hasn't had access to big opponents, but when he has, Sean Porter, he showed us exactly who he still is. Uh, here's a quote. Just the, just today, Errol Spence Jr. caught up with Calvin Watkins of Sports Day DFW and the quote was, I got to talk to my manager, but I already told them I'm at this weight too long, meaning welterweight. I might be moving up. I don't know. I might be moving up. Spence said Crawford was already going to be his last fight at welterweight because his body is, is you know, he's it's always been a hard cut for Spence. He's a huge welterweight. Luke, this really may push him full time to 154, which would be great in terms of the fights we can make. And there's big benefits there. But it would be leaving a lot of unanswered questions. It would be backbreaking and painful. Um, Boots is coming on too. Don't forget that at welterweight. It's just this sucks. This sucks.
2: This fucking blows. Yep. And dude, I mean, yeah. listen, you can't tell me he wasn't going to get paid to fight Spence. Like that's what this is all about. You got to get the maximum amount of money. But you got to be willing. You got to be willing. We can't make him want it. We can't make him want these fights. It's up to him. And 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 let's be clear. Bud is a brilliant boxer. A brilliant boxer. But I am just not convinced he's got his heart in the in this matchup. I'm not convinced he's making the right decisions for his legacy, quite frankly. And, you know, if you want the fans to shell out money to go watch you fight a fight that, I mean, literally nobody asked for, good fucking luck. That promoter's going to take I, a bath on that.
3: I don't I don't know how that's even remotely financially possible unless somebody, there's some other entity funneling money, money into this. But you never know with boxing. But final thing I'll say on this is, Look, I I cannot respect Crawford more inside the ring, even beyond, beyond his skills, his backbone, his meanness. But I don't care outside the ring if he's not a good interview, if he's surly, if he's hard to deal with for promoters. I don't care about anybody about that. I care, though, for the last three years when asked about Spence, he goes, I don't care if I ever fight him. I care about that, Luke, because there is, at the end of the day, when you're at that elite level, almost a responsibility to your own legacy and to what you've built in the sport to sort of finalize it, to max it out, and when I would see Crawford on the other side of the street politically with top-ranking ESPN and not getting to fight the biggest welter names weights while making a lot of money, I always felt like he was a little too content with the idea, well, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, and I'll retire happy. It seems like he's telling the truth, Luke. He doesn't care. That's what it seems like. So
2: Yeah, just don't come out, just like, if you take a fight like this and not the Spence fight, and again, you know, I'm sure the negotiations have been difficult on both sides. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. But if you take a fight like this, and then the Spence fight never happens, you do not get to claim certain things about who the best guy was in the era. Like you, 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 you decided of your own volition that that wasn't something you were necessarily interested in. So, and that's fine. You can't knock his talent. His talent is extraordinary. Bud is a joy to watch. There's just no denying it. But if you take fights like this over fighting Errol Spence, then there's just going to be a a, a a reframing of your legacy and. You, there's no one to blame for that other than the choices that were made by the boxer himself.
3: There it is. There it is. All right, look, before we close with Dead Wrong, like we do every Friday, uh, just a reminder we know UFC 280 is tomorrow afternoon. You can get closer to the action than your TV or your ticket allows with DraftKings Sportsbook. Yes, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. And right now, new customers, uh, you got to love this deal from DraftKings. You can bet $5 on UFC 280. And whether that bet wins or loses, you get $200—I'm sorry, let me get this right. You bet $5 if your fighter wins, you get $200 in free bets. So you think Sean Brady's going to beat Muhammad? You think Manon Ferro is going to beat Chukajian? Bet $5 on anyone on this 280 card. If they win the fight, you get $200 in free bets. Uh, I don't know if I've seen a better deal than that, Luke. You?
2: It's a pretty great deal. And, of course, you could come up with a parlay. You could do a a, a Brady, O'Malley, kind of whoever you want else. You can pick any different combinations of parlays you want. And it's real simple. Just download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code COMBAT with a K. Throw down, as BC indicated, 5 bucks on UFC 280 and get $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. That's code COMBAT this Saturday. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply.
3: And if you know if you're feeling very BC like that Mahachev Dillashaw parlay, Luke, I know those guys can't make the bet anymore under UFC rules, but I can. I like that parlay. I like and that. Also, Dillashaw you could do a play.
2: whole underdog parlay because all these fights are close as shit. Yeah. All of them are close as shit. So you could go but in a I number of different this, directions.
3: It's harder in boxing because the odds are so wide, even in fights that we deem to be competitive on paper. But if you consistently bet UFC for fun, um, you're going to get underdogs winning in big fights more often than you may realize when, until you start charting it and still, until you start looking back at it, Luke. There's some, it's fun. It's fun as shit. UFC gives us the best all the time. We give you the best most of the time. We even win awards for that. But sometimes we say absolute bullshit into the microphone that's not true at all. We're like, man, you think Mr. Rogers had any kills in Korea? That's not true, bro. It's just not true. So, Luke, every Friday we stand on trial. When we say things wrong, for a segment that our fans email into us at morningcombat at gmail.com. And they call this one dead wrong, bitch. Yeah, mm. there it is. Mm. Whoop, There it is, right? All right, let's start off here from a, a person named Dana Blanco. Is that Dana White? Yeah. Good day. By the way, team I meant
2: to tell you this. There's a. Uh, this is true. Like right after when Breaking Bad was at its peak, there was a show that came out in Colombia. I forgot what it was called, but it was an exact replica. Except instead of meth, they were selling like blue cocaine. And I'm not. I'm not doing a bit. The main character's name was Walter Blanco. It was <laughs> Walter Blanco.
3: Love it, love it. Good day, MK. This is attempt number two during the UFC 280 preview at 1338. BC mentioned. That Mahachev's win streak coming into 280 is greater than Charles's current win streak. That's dead wrong, guys. Islam had a 10 fight win streak entering 280, while Charles is riding in 11 fight. Did I say that? Mm. I don't know. If I did, I'm wrong, all right? That's fine. I want you to sit on that L like you sat on that director's chair right before you tumbled off stage <laughs> in doc number seven. Stay saucy, you filthy animal. Uh, Team BC Forever, it's Dana Blanco. Luke, I got one final call out here. We're at 22,000 on Doc Seven. It's a crowning artistic achievement. 40 minutes of love from, from your boy Jake Von Amsterdam. There's at least 10,000 P1s who are avoiding that right now. Can you just click on it and watch it? Would it hurt you?
2: Yeah, I mean, okay. if even I'm telling you that, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the Docs, this Doc is great. It's great. It's really, really, really well done. And yeah, it's a little on the long side, but if it's a magnum opus, it's one hell of one. So
3: there we go. There you go, Mr. Holland's opus right in front of you. Let's go over to Colin A. Happy Friday, Donks. Episode 362 on October 17th. During the shit segment, Brian says that the Yankees fans say they are on Kashyyyk, and he has the high ground. This was in reference to that Indians-Yankees fan fight. The problem is Guardians. that Anakin... Guardians. Oh, I'm sorry, Guardians. The problem is that Anakin and Obi-Wan fought on Mustafar, and Kashyyyk Ooh. is the home of the Wookiees, who we know are about it, about it. May the force stay loyal. It's Colin A. Yes, Luke, I take two L's. Wow, I'll take that. I'll, I'll straddle it for you. You're right. Uh, go to the Mustafa system. Yes, thank you. Thank you. General
2: Grievous and shit. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yo, I think that... um, Who's the guy who had the the curved penis uh, lightsaber? Uh, uh, Duke, Not Duke Rufus. Uh, Count Dooku. Count Dooku? Luke. Yeah, Count Dooku's kind of a badass. He was raised in the Jedi, and then he switched over to the Dark. I think people, you know, look at him as an old bitch, but he could fight. No way should they have written it where, where Obi-Wan, spoiler alert, not Obi-Wan, where Yoda would freaking come in there and outsword him. Get out of here. Yoda's like 4,000 years old, Luke. It's not even remotely possible.
2: I think Yoda was like eight or 900 years old, but uh, yeah. Yeah, Star Wars is stupid. I mean, I'm not sure what else to say. I've I've grown tired of it.
3: Well, the new Star Wars stuff, Luke, like Rogue One, it's manly, right? It's like real talk, all the also like samurai sense. Jedi's and shit. All right, this is Colin. He says on uh, October seventeenth, on Monday at nineteen fifty-five, Donkey Donk Luke, all nonsense. Thomas said Jessica Andrade has not had a title shot at flyweight yet. No, she has, Yeah, yeah two sixty-one. She was stopped in the second round via crucifix by Shevchenko, followed by horrendous hellbows. How could you forget when the bullet destroyed my favorite OnlyFans princess? Really, I guess I've tried to forget it too. It's Colin. That's disrespectful. I think so.
2: Luke. I think so. I think my brain doesn't work very well.
3: Yeah, I mean, God, this guy hanging out on OnlyFans. What? I mean, you know, come on, you know, use your imagination. Don't pay for it, right, Luke? I mean, this is just gross, right? Uh, maybe he supports fighters. Maybe that's what his thing is. You know,
2: maybe maybe, maybe he's just a giver.
3: Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, I think this is Marcus. I'm not sure who wrote this. this our last one. At around 24-25 of Wednesday's live show, BC used the word irregardless. And immediately, I saw LT's eyes light up as he had an opportunity to assert his verbal superiority over BC. However, Merriam-Webster does in fact classify irregardless as a word, albeit a non-standard word meaning it is not conforming in pronunciation, grammatical construction, idiom, or word choice to the usage generally characteristic of educated native speakers of AVA language. Why wow, are they calling me uneducated? Although I would not use the word, says Marcus, I still had to defend D- BC from LT's vocabularic assault. Wow. Yeah, I finally mean, I- there's
2: a qu- I, I used to do this thing in middle school. This is a true thing. We had a thing called grammar court. And we had the same problem with, like, arguing is ain't or irregardless a word. It is a word in the sense in which they describe it. It is not a word that means irrespective. That's not, it, it, it's 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 slang. It's nonsense. It's a thing that we use. So in that sense, it's a word. But it's not a word of the conventional English language, no.
3: All right. If This is Marcus. I don't know who wrote this. But he says, uh, finally, I love the show, irregardless of Lukito's watermelon douche flute habit. <laughs> yes, we all do. Thank you. Very much. Uh, Luke, when you win many awards, as we tend to do, and by the way, how about Showtime putting out that PR release? I felt like a hero, Luke. I felt like I a I
2: felt, a- we got a lot of love from folks. Got to be very grateful for Showtime to send that out. Thank you.
3: Yes. Uh, before we, oh, let's tell you to now. Speaking of our find, our find people at Showtime, right? You can get 30 days free right now going to Showtime.com. And you know about this deal right now. Three more months after that, only $3.99 a month. Guys, this is a hell of a deal. Boxing, MMA, Bellator Movies Docs, and tonight, 9.30 p.m. Eastern from here at Bally's in Atlantic City. Showbox, the new generation, is going to close 2023 with a bang. BC, Barry Tompkins, Steve Farhood, and Raul Marquez, Isaiah Steen, and Cinna, Agbeco, Super Middleweights, and your main event. Don't miss it. You can watch it for free right now. Go to Showtime.com. But Luke, when you win all these awards and they make PR releases about you, you get some very, you know, high-profile friends like our friends at DraftKings. Our friends at AG1, our really good friends at Money Lion. I mean, <laughs> hashtag Holy Hammer to that, right? But Luke, uh, we got new friends as well. You want to you want to bring this in?
2: Uh, yeah, we do have new friends. How about this, BC? Welcome to Fresh Ball Fall. It's Ooh. the season of pumpkin spice and making sure your crotch looks nice. That means sipping cider in a fall breeze <laughs> and using Manscape products to trim your balls with ease.
3: Well, today is about reuniting with old friends, and we've got a great old friend. And right now, this today, this show is brought to you by Manscaped. Yes, a company here to make sure that your foliage isn't the only thing shredding its excess leaves. Wow, wow.
0: All
2: right, listen, whether you're brand new or you've been around the Manscaped universe for some time, the Platinum Package 4.0 is what you got to pay attention to. Inside the 10-part Platinum Package is everything you know and love about the performance package plus some shower goodies, BC included to elevate your grooming game to platinum.
3: Yeah, get up to Mike Perry level there. Uh the lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer and weed whacker nose and in ear here trim air here, beta or
5: beta.
3: Uh what it features here is a proprietary advanced skin-safe technology. Guys, I'm serious. I've used it on my on the Netherlands and I came out Dutch in the end. Okay, you know no cuts, no nicks, it's fantastic. <laughs> And it helps you protect those delicate parts in from uh, you know wait protect your delicate parts in holes. Wow. Oh Jesus! Wow, both are waterproof, so you can keep scaping even as the weather is changing. Look, I scape in the shower sometimes. You know, like yeah, I use man. these
2: products; they're great. Uh, in addition yeah. to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the ultra premium body wash and ultra premium two in one shampoo plus conditioner. You'll have your skin and hair feeling hydrated and smelling fresh probably unlike what the dungarees of the liver king smell like
3: oh god that guy's such so, so lame uh luke Regardless of whether your drapes do match <laughs> your curtains um uh i ad-libbed that one wow don't forget to apply manscapes aluminum free ultra premium deodorant luke i use manscaped deodorant and don't worry that it's not pumpkin spice it's a cologne quality fragrance it smells like a french man luke and that's what i am right
2: yeah, but David Appleton, you can smell like him or not, we shouldn't ha- save a signature scent for our pits. So use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, you filthy animals, and Crop Reviver Ball Toner to make sure your go-to smell is top shelf and not sweaty-ass testicles, baby, please.
3: And please, look, a lot of you guys are done. You're retired. You're married with kids. You're not in the game anymore.
2: You got ball you hair even, down to your knees like a billy goat.
3: If you're If you're even remotely in the game or maybe you're trying to keep your marriage... Guys, you got to get cleaned up down there, okay? So, uh, Manscaped even throws in two free gifts to help you stay clean down there in their Platinum Package 4.0. It's the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag, which right now I'm using in this hotel bathroom over here, Luke. I'm not kidding. I actually am. Shout out to Manscaped for that.
2: Uh, All right. So, go to Manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code Combat with a K, BC.
3: Yeah, again, that's 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com. You got to use that code, combat with a K. Uh, Clear out the leaves. It's your trunks time to shine. And by trunks, we mean your disgusting, shriveled ball bag. Yes, thank
2: you. Clean your ball bags, you disgusting animals.
3: You filthy animal. There it is. Uh, Luke, I got to say thank you to our fantastic team, Mikey Morms, Long Island Luke, Gaffney P., Gaffney Jim P., and uh, I got to say thank you to Eric Nixick of uh, Extreme Couture for sliding by. Luke, I was very entertained by that talk.
2: Yeah, he gave us a lot of good info. It's a great way to shake up the Friday. And uh, but how about that story about Francis, huh? That's crazy what as a, shit.
3: What a real man, right? What a real man.
2: Um. Hey, by the way, I went to a, uh, real quickly before we go, because our weekend plans are mostly just going to be covering the fights. Reminder, I will be on live as soon as the main event is over right here, youtube.com slash morning combat. BC, I went to a flamenco uh performance last night here in dc
3: Ooh, that's spanish influence isn't it
2: yeah it's from well from spain yeah um so in that case it would be spanish dude i gotta say you know my <laughs> wife dragged me to it and at first i was you know first first act i was like good thing i had this delta eight gummy before we got in here if you know yep, what i mean but yep, dude as it yep. picked up as the pace picked up and they're you no know, tick 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 dick all that stuff it was a show bro it was uh, you know i gotta say the audience a lot of Biden voters, if you know what I'm saying. A lot of, a lot of Biden voters up in that bitch, but uh, they were nice and it was cool. And dude, the show was incredible. I have to say, I, I was I went in there very skeptical because we, we took out Abuela for her birthday, that's why we went. Yeah, and uh, they delivered. It was from the it was from the uh, the 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 Royal Opera of Madrid. So that's interesting. They, they uh, killed it. They killed it.
3: Uh, you know, I am interested in adding more culture to my life. Going to a Broadway show, Luke. Maybe see Hamilton uh and uh you know watch some watch Don Flamenco dance for your wife it's cool I'm into that shit too yeah I mean
2: here's the thing I would never have gone to it on my own I kind of farm out my cultural upkeep to my family and what they dragged me to uh but in the end I was actually glad I went it actually ended up being pretty and Tukey was a pretty good um participant in the audience as well so Luke, no tonight
3: I don't expect you'll watch me at nine thirty p.m. Eastern. I, uh, I dude, you are
2: such a bullshit artist. I always watch you on the show. No, you show do. Box. You're a
3: great friend. You're a much better friend than I am, to be fair. You always you're a little too handsy, but that that's your business. Um, Luke, do you think that I should work in a safe word or a hand signal or something like Doug Christie to his wife every time he makes a jump shot? He'd have to do that that weird like you know frat initiation bullshit. Um, do you think I should do something tonight in my analysis that lets the people know you and I are joined at the joined at the groin brother you know what i
2: mean you could do a manscaped read just out of nowhere just start reading about how you can shave your balls right in the middle of <laughs> yeah, the showtime yeah. broadcast no there... cha-ching cha-ching could you yeah, work are... in a cha-ching
3: cha-ching okay cha-ching that guy's getting paid yeah right right raul yeah all right or like the
2: punch lands perfectly it's a one-shot ko you can go cha-ching Cha-ching,
3: bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, 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 you know, I would like if I could sneak in batch a few times on Showbox, but that would probably be my last show, Luke. So let's it would keep professional. Be, it would
2: definitely be your last show. Don't vape yeah. on air, because that's don't that's what that's air. what that's what morons do. You know.
3: You know. All seriousness. Very excited to be calling the fights tonight. Triple header. Don't miss it. 9:30 p.m. Eastern on Showtime. Do not miss UFC 280 tomorrow. And Luke, they can find you directly. I'll be on CBS Sports HQ once the main event ends. Luke will be launching on YouTube.com slash Morning an instant analysis show. Uh, I'll be interested in hearing your thoughts here. Yeah,
2: yeah. We'll get, look forward to it again. 2 p.m., 2 p.m. in the East Coast time, main uh, main card start. So roughly we'll be on 5.30-ish, 5-ish, something like that. Be aware.
3: All right. Uh, MorningCombat.store is our merch house. Uh, just a reminder, a lot of new options there. Hats, sweatshirts. Um uh, what's the guy's name rj uh rj Bagelbrowner. he's been on fire of late luke okay <laughs> holy hammer to that weirdo right i love that guy it's great you know it's like he's so good at his job that i have to question like his search history or what you know what's his fatal flaw luke
2: he probably watches just the worst kind no i can't even say <laughs> i can't even do it he's so nice to us rj duckle gangbang is a great merch guy i gotta say yeah
3: one final reminder from our friends at Moneyline, guys, you know, next Saturday, Phoenix, Greater Phoenix there, Glendale, Arizona, Showtime pay-per-view, Jake Paul, Anderson Silva, you can't miss it. I mean, it's Uriah Hall on the undercard, Dr. Mike, Chris Avila, we know Nate Diaz will be there. You know you, Luke and I will be there on the ground beginning Wednesday morning, hitting you up, covering, uh, we got live MK shows, we'll hit you up with a time schedule ahead of time. We are hosting, co-hosting, uh, the weigh-in, the press conference, a lot of fun, a lot of fun with this event, so check it out. But you can check it out in person. You can vape with your favorite co-host. And it's thankful we are to Moneyline offering this. You can get two tickets to the fight, airfare, hotel accommodations, and signed gloves from Jake Paul and UFC legend Anderson Silva. It really doesn't get any better than that. Luke, do you remember what they have to do? I know the first step is download the Moneyline app, right?
2: Download the Moneyline app. Uh, you have to set up a Roar Tag account. And then go on social media and then use the hashtag with the Roar Tech. The the information is in the description box below if you have any questions about it. Or just email the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. We'll be promoting it. Come out to Arizona. Moneyline is going to pay for you to go. What could be bad about that?
3: Okay, what about this? Can they appear live on Friday's MK episode in Arizona?
2: If they trim their balls with Manscaped, I'll allow it. I'll allow it.
3: Wow. All right. So we're going to check your we're going to check the status of your gross satchel uh, D- male or don't, female. Apparently. Don't bring yeah. me
2: meats that you have cured in a bag and uh, that may or may not have semen in them yes. and, you know, oh, wash your on. filthy uh, wash your filthy underarms and trim your ball bag and I'll consider it.
5: All
3: right. You can vape with Luke on set if you want. You can appear with us on Friday if we can get a hold of you. But Moneyline, thank you for offering. Check the details below. That's it. Friday's in the books. Once again, follow Eric Nixick, a great rising coach, great personality. We love him. That's Luke Thomas. This is your boy, BC Showbox tonight. So much good stuff happening. We raise awards up. You like and follow us. We hit you right in the face. We face F you with content.